Hi folks, Shag here. Question for you. Where can you find Dave Gibbons and Frank Miller both in the same Marvel comic? Hang around. Me and my pal Siskoid are going to talk about it. Then after that, a special treat. I've got recordings for both 2016 and 2017 of me and my good buddy David Ace Gutierrez at our favorite convention. What convention is that? Outpost Gallifrey, of course. So we must be talking about Doctor Who. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Rob's got the week off because, well, let's face it, folks, he lives in New Jersey. Do I really need to say any more? So, helping me guide the space-time visualizer this time is my good buddy, Siskoid, and we're going to talk about some Doctor Who. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Folks, you may have heard our previous episode that was on the feed a while back. It was Fire and Water Podcast, episode number 175, where we talked about Marvel premiere number 57. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to talk about Marvel premiere number 58. Some more Doctor Who reprints from England in American comic chocolatey goodness, and I'm excited to do it. If you're looking for more Doctor Who podcasty goodness, I got three shows I want to recommend to you. I mentioned them uh, back on episode 175. That is Who True Freaks over in the Two True Freaks Network. It's a fantastic ensemble show where we go through the old classic episodes of Doctor Who. I was a frequent guest on that show. It's a fun, fun blast through old episodes and some new episodes too. So check that out over Two True Freaks. Also, Straight Out of Gallifrey, which is a friend of the network, Ashford. They're going through old Doctor Who episodes, talking about ones that feature other Time Lords other than the Doctor. They're nice short burst they're uh, really fun to go through and i'm really enjoying their 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 critique of those older episodes it's, it's a lot of fun and also doctor who panel to panel which is a podcast that focuses specifically on doctor who comics and has a ton of amazing interviews i mean really really great stuff be sure to check that one out as well so all those are great and there's a million other doctor who podcasts out there and you know what if you know of a great doctor who podcast that you listen to every month please write in leave it in the comments because i'm always looking for another good doctor who podcast oh and you should probably listen to Radio Free Scaro, but that's just kind of a given. Anyway, before we get too much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, th- this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Siskoid? Well, last time I talked about a multi-doctor story, I will do it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone loves multi-doctor stories. Uh, this is the, the, the comic that came out during the 50th anniversary year, and everybody was doing uh, multi-doctor stories at that point. It's called Doctor Who Prisoners of Time, and you can uh, get it from Ipsock Trades either in two volumes or in a single volume. I'll shill the, the single volume one, even though it's like 25 cents more. It's uh, it's written by the brothers Tipton, Scott and David, and it's got a different artist for each chapter, each chapter featuring a different doctor and uh, having different doctors feel. So you get really, it feels like 12 different uh, Doctor Who stories. They're all part a, of a larger story, but feel like little chapters that can be read all by themselves. It's 336 pages, was $24.99. The in-stock trades price is $18.74. It's 25% off. 
Doctor Who Prisoners of Time. Nice. I remember I remember when that series came out. I mean, it was pretty ambitious to do a 12-issue limited series, but it's very clever to do each individual issue about individual doctors. Neat stuff. I'm going to pimp from IDW, Doctor Who 11th Archives, Omnibus Trade Paperback Volume 1. It's got a god-awfully long name. But the gist of it is, it reprints a bunch of the IDW stories featuring the 11th Doctor. Well, the 10th Doctor comic from IDW was really good. I really, really clicked with the 11th Doctor comic at IDW. I thought it was exceptionally well done. Writer Joshua Hale Filikov and uh, cover art by Tommy Lee Edwards is 352 pages. It features... The Eleventh Doctor, it features Rory, it features Amy, it features a story involving Jack the Ripper, uh, sentient spam mail, it's got a giant robot dinosaur who joins the TARDIS team, It, it and there's a fantastic Christmas story in there. It is an absolute hoot, folks. I cannot re- recommend it highly enough. 352 pages, full color, normally retails for $24.99. It's on in-stock trades at 25% off, so you get it for $18.74. You will not be disappointed if you're a Matt Smith Doctor Who fan, so check it it out. Yeah, that was a great run. Agreed. Well, thank you, sir. For these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. Good stuff. Well, Siskoid, last time I asked you a few questions, I'm going to put you the, the thumbscrews to you again. So tell me this, sir. What was your first exposure to Doctor Who? Best as I can make it, it was this very strange show that, <laughs> <laughs> that I caught a part of during my childhood when you know my summers were spent in Texas. Either a PBS station or a Nickelodeon or something showed The Hand of Fear, the omnibus one, where the, I mean, really it's a four-episode story, but they, they scrunch them up, right, yeah, uh, right. into one. So The Hand of Fear was like the first one I saw. And then I came back to Canada, and a couple of years later, again, very vague, uh, I catch this strange show on TV once again, and it's The Hand of Fear. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so yeah, the the hand of fear was my my real first exposure to it. It's again and again, and then from there, I sort of you know figured out when the show was actually airing and started watching it for real. <laughs> so, so what was the story that you would say made you a committed fan? What was the story where you finally said, I you know I, I remember very specifically telling my mom she was t- calling me to go do a chore or something. And I said, Mom, I'm watching my show, and I realized at that moment that Doctor Who was my show. Mm. What was it for you? Well, once I realized what the TV schedules were, I was watching the the omnibus shows on PBS, sure, mm-hmm. and they were usually Tom Baker, Tom Baker ones, and sometimes you get someone else. But I don't think we became a Doctor Who fan. Until we found the daily single episodes on uh, a station here called YTV, which means like youth television. And we sort of caught it in the middle of Planet of the Daleks. Oh, wow. Joe was full of fungus, that that one. (laughs) Uh, And then it it wasn't just me. It was the whole family wanted to watch this every day. It was like around dinner time. We watched Doctor Who and Pertwee was like my sister's doctor and she never forgave him for becoming Tom Baker. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But so and those dailies like, you know, went right up through uh, past Davison and and then started over from Pertwee sort of thing. So that's when. I think I became committed and at the same time I was watching that I was taping all the omnibus ones I had those tapes in my closet until maybe like two three years ago when when I started collecting the DVDs I didn't need those old tapes anymore Uh, (laughs) but they were with me all this time like you know 20 years later I still had the tapes Uh, so I would say that you know that era of 
are watching it and because it was a family thing that made it not just my show but our show and uh, I stuck with it maybe longer than my uh, my, my sister and my brother did that's really cool I, I've always been sort of a Doctor Who fan in isolation I was the only one in my family of any interest of it and it took me a couple of years till I really found any friends that were interested in it and even then it was only a handful of us so we, we were the nerds who got picked on at school for liking Doctor Who but I didn't care yeah. so my first exposure would have been probably early 1983 and it was a rerun of Genesis of the Daleks and this would have been we we also like you we had the dailies the half hour episodes and then on Saturdays they would play the omnibus one and it was never in sync so you'd get something from like you know early uh, Tom Baker during the week and then on Saturdays it'd be something from like the middle or end of Tom Baker so it was never never synced up but that's okay so it was Genesis of the Daleks and I saw just maybe five or ten minutes of it and I thought it was utter crap I thought it was a complete Star Wars ripoff because I'm looking here at Davros being some sort of uh, analogous for Darth Vader and the Daleks being analogous for stormtroopers and Tom Baker as the doctor being analogous for like, you know, maybe Han Solo or Luke Skywalker and Harry Sullivan being the other one and Sarah Jane being Princess Leia. I thought, honestly, that it was just some college kids had got together and, in England and filmed this really cheap, low-budget thing. And I thought it was terrible. <laughs> now, in hindsight, you know, Genesis the Daleks, one of the highest, you know, fan-appreciated episodes of all time, and I really love it, with giant clams and all. But, you know, that's what I thought when I first saw it. Now, what really finally made me a committed fan was, you're not going to believe this, Hand of Fear. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was an omnibus episode. It was one of these late-night ones, because for a while, they were showing him at like 11 o'clock at night. I don't know why they were showing it so late at night, but that's what they did. It was on our local PBS, of course. That's what that's where everyone here in the States watched Doctor Who back then. And I watched Hand of Fear, and it scared the living crap out of me. That I, hand in the Tupperware. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. And, you know, Sarah Jane falls under its spell. I mean, it's, it, there's something there. Yeah. I mean, I'm all of 10 years old, or 11 years old maybe, up late at night, past my bedtime. Everyone else in the house is asleep. It's dark, you know, and I'm watching this creepy show, and it's just like, scare the crap out of me. So what did I do the next week? I tuned in for Deadly Assassin. You know, <laughs> talk about talk about fear upon fear. You know, it, it, it totally cemented me as a fan. And th those were the two that made me a committed Doctor Who fan. But the show I was watching when I remember telling my mom my show was on was Legopolis, one of the dailies uh, of Legopolis. And, in fact, I taped that. Uh, much like they did in the 60s, I taped it on an audio cassette. So, and this is, you know, 1983, you know, recording it on audio cassette. And I used to play Legopolis over and over on audio in bed, you know, with my tape recorder under my pillow so I could hear it. <laughs> I love that show. It's That's still a my very friends. Doctor Who experience. It really is. It really is. Yeah. So That's how we have a lot of the episodes that were lost. You know, all exactly. those wiped episodes from the 60s exist only on audio because kids were doing this. I know. And, and I didn't know any of that at the time. I just did it on my own. You know, I think I stole my sister's tape recorder probably to do this, you know. And uh, you talked about all your old episodes on tape. Well, I – this is nothing. I'm, I'm off the reservation. But I don't care. I just like talking about old Doctor Who. I joined uh, in the 90s the Columbia – I don't know if you guys have the uh, – in Canada. Yeah. The yeah, we do. Record yeah. House or whatever club. Well, we had a, a Columbia Doctor Who video club, and they would send you a Doctor Who video every month. And you never knew whether it was going to be one of the omnibus editions where there was seamless with no parts or whether it would be the individual you know, cliffhangers and everything. But I have – Tons of these old Doctor Who VHSs. And then once everyone moved to DVDs, I looked at the price. I'm like, I don't want to pay $25 for an episode I saw four times already. So I went on eBay and just bought everyone else's old VHS tapes. So I have most of my Doctor Who collection is still a classic who is still on VHS. And I kept a VCR for that reason. And I'm just not going to buy the DVDs, really. 
I'm wow. cheap like that. That's okay. <laughs> but I, I did buy, I, I bought more recent ones. Like, you know, when, when they did Enemy of the World and Web of Fear and things like that, I couldn't resist. I absolutely got those. So, so good. So good. So, uh, since we're talking about Doctor Who comics, one more question for you. What is your favorite era or eras? I'll give you, I'll give you an out so you can name multiple ones of Doctor Who comics or comic strips. Well, I, I have sampled each of, well, I've sampled from every era, but I've sampled each of the Titan series, uh, and I plan on reading them sometime. It's just, I'm, I'm not there yet. I've like read like one or two issues of each. But really, I quite liked IDW's uh, Eleven Doctor series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the talking T Rex, the, the robot T Rex, the companion. <laughs> Everything you were saying earlier for your in stock trades pick, it was basically my favorite era of the comics. I thought they were they really got the style. The art was fun, uh, and a lot of great stories in there. All right, so just one one uh, era. That's my favorite era. That yeah, that's my favorite era. Okay. Point well, I gave you an out for multiple ones, mainly because I want to mention multiple ones. Really. Oh, Go for it. <laughs> Ironically, one of one of my three is the modern Matt Smith comics, and that includes the IDWs and the uh, the Titan ones. the The Titan ones are also exceptional with his companion Alice and uh, the the David Bowie uh, analogous character they've got in there and stuff. It's I love the the Titan version of uh, the Eleventh Doctor. Now all the Titan comics are good, and as you said, sampled. I I own them all, but I'm sort of trade waiting with a lot of them. Like some of them, I'm not going to you know be pick on any particular Doctor, but some of them. Have have like a year's worth stacked up. I'm like, I really need to sit down and read those, and I haven't got around to it. But the, the, I've read chunks of all of them, though, and all the Titan comics are really good. But the Eleven Doctors, for some reason, really speak to me. I just really think they've captured him really well. And, you know, Matt Smith is like a walking cartoon anyway, so it's, it just works really well. So my other two favorite eras are the Eighth Doctor comic adventures. I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I was really steep, steeped in Doctor Who expanded universe during the wilderness years, and those Paul McGann stories in Doctor Who magazine the comic strips were awesome. They were so good. And they've collected them in these gorgeous, gorgeous, like, thick volumes. I think there's four volumes of it. And, and some of them are really, really pricey and hard to find. But they're gorgeous reprints with lots of back matter and you, some really great stories. And they really took the Paul McGann doctors a lot of interesting places and companions during that era. And I absolutely love it. Really good stuff. And then uh, if, if I have to talk about, I, I love to say mac and cheese, but my, my mac and cheese of Doctor Who comics is probably the early Marvel reprints. Not the ones in Marvel Premiere, but the actual title called Doctor Who. And maybe it's because I read them when I was a kid. Maybe it's the Dave Gibbons art. Maybe it's because they have a Cyberman from, you know, a classic Cyberman who's, you know, out of sync with the, with the show at that point. I love that. I love that image of the classic Cyberman there in the TARDIS. I just adore those eras. Like the Star Beast, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So much fun. Sharon and Fudge and, uh, Absalom Dak. Oh my gosh. He's so cool. <laughs> I actually have a t-shirt. A buddy of mine bought me in England of Absalom Dak. Drawn by, uh, I want to say Steve Dillon. I think I'm right about that. Yeah, and that it, makes sense. Yeah. It's an Absalom Dak t-shirt, and it's 20-plus years old, so it's really ratty. So now I just wear it to go to sleep in. I just, I love it. I love the Absalom Dak. And they have a great trade. It's not an in-stock trades or anything, but if you want a fun read, go f- seek out the Absalom Dak collection, which collects his early adventures and then the ones where he met the Seventh Doctor. And there, he's, he's, he's Absalom Dak Dalek killer. Yeah. He's an assassin who goes and fights Daleks. It's wonderful expanded universe stuff. Do you dream of killing Daleks? Is that what you wear? <laughs> um, actually, I like Cybermen more than Daleks. Well, that's why you kill Daleks. You keep I guess cy- so. Cybermen as friends. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and we're going to play a couple of ads from friends of ours. And when we come back, we're going to cover Marvel Premiere number 58 featuring Doctor Who. Are you a fan of Doctor Who? How about comics? 
If you're a fan of both, then Doctor Who Panel to Panel is for you. This podcast looks in-depth into the long history of Doctor Who comics, from the 1960s kid-friendly strips to today's present comics from Titan Comics and Doctor Who Magazine. I review stories old and new, featuring classic doctors like Tom Baker and John Pertwee, to the 12th Doctor himself, Peter Capaldi. I also interview the creators behind the stories, from authors such as Paul Carnell to artists like John Ridgway and Lee Sullivan. I also talk to production people such as Titan Comics editor Andrew James and Doctor Who Magazine editor Tom Spilsbury about their career and work on these great comics. Check out Doctor Who Panel to Panel on iTunes, Facebook, and download episodes direct from DoctorWhoComics.com. Discoid's blog of geekery is Doctor Who, Babylon 5, Animation, Comics, Toys, Godzilla, Star Trek, Cats, Crypto, Role Playing Games, Battle Shovel, X Files, Music, Podcast, Board Games, Jack Kirby, Alien, Movie, Kung Fu, Dinosaur, and so much more. Discoid's blog of geekery, 10 years of content, more than 7,500 posts, still going strong at ciscoid.blogspot.com. And we're back, and we are now going to talk about Marvel Premiere number 58, which is going to reprint stories from the second half of the Iron Legion story, which we talked about way back in Fire and Water Podcast episode 175. So these reprint the second half of the Iron Legion story, which originally appeared in Doctor Who Weekly issues 5 through 8. And this comic, Marvel Premiere number 58, is cover dated February 1981, but was on the shelves November 25th, 1980. And if you're curious, what was airing on TV when this issue was released, it was State of Decay had just started over in the UK. I'd forgotten, I don't know if I ever mentioned, Marvel Premiere by this point was actually a bi-monthly book. So it was only uh, once every two months. So that's part of the reason the big jump from story to story. Mm. And when it appeared originally in Doctor Who Weekly, like a year before, the show that was airing at the time was the wonderful <laughs> Nightmare of Eden. I love that story! Oh, I don't I don't love it. but <laughs> I love it just for nostalgia ridiculousness. The mandrill. <laughs> yeah, but it is interesting that when it came out in the states or North America, it was at the same time as State of Decay because there is a State of Decay element to it hmm. that we'll get to. It was more overt in the, like the first part, but yeah, I mean, it made me think of State of Decay that bit. I hadn't put that together. That's interesting. Which still, the comic would have come out before, way before. All right. So let's do a little recap. Sure, if you will. This one was written by uh, Pat Mills, even though John Wagner is also credited. The artist was Dave Gibbons, and Color is here uh, by A.P. Yankis. Sounds like a pseudonym. Uh, <laughs> you think? Uh, I don't know. It's a, the person that doesn't want to be blamed for having put colors on Dave Gibbons' art. Uh, well, you know, uh, although this, this issue is better than, I think, the first one. I would agree, actually, and I know we're go- jumping ahead of the commentary, but the colors are much, much improved over issue yeah. number 57. Yeah, but we do have to deal with, I mean, Jim Shooter was uh, editor-in-chief at this point, and there there was his memo there that coloring should you, you should cut corners on coloring and put color washes of all the same color on top of pages or you know to get books out on time 
time. So hmm. uh, we know Jim Shooter did this to comics in the uh, early 80s. Interesting. Uh, I was not aware of that. Yes. Right. I took it from, the I guess, the Marvel history, the tell-all mm-hmm. book. Uh, it's in there. Anyways, let's let's go for the, let's. I mean, Jim Shooter is out of this. The Iron Legion, book two, Against the Gods. All right, here goes. Whoa, whoa, whoa we got to talk about this cover. I mean, this is a pretty big deal here. So it, it's an all-green cover. And again, it says Marvel premiere featuring Doctor Who. It's got like a, a, sort of a replica diamond logo, sort of imitating the, the TV series diamond logo. It's got the Doctor Who face, or, or Tom Baker's face in the corner box. It's a Dave Gibbons drawing in the corner box. And it says, he's back! Issue 58, only 50 cents, two shiny quarters. Not too bad. And the cover shows one of the bad guys of this story, the, the alien creatures dragging the Doctor away. And he says, come along, Doctor. I've never eaten a Time Lord before. And who drew this cover exactly? Could it be Frank Miller? <laughs> it certainly was Frank Miller and Terry Austin. <laughs> Holy crap! Walt Simonson last issue, Frank Miller this issue. This is a hell of a pedigree for Doctor Who, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and it's not even artists asking, oh, I need to do a cover for... <laughs> I mean, they were given these assignments because, as we said last time, the uh, Walt Simonson didn't know anything about Doctor Who. So right. he, he wasn't the one to ask for the assignment. So I'm guessing Frank Miller wasn't necessarily a Doctor Who fan either. I, I, I searched the web for any connection between Frank Miller and Doctor Who, and the only thing that comes up is this cover. There's no articles, there's no discussion, there's no anything. And in fact, this cover is a reproduction, and well, not reproduction, it's a redrawn panel from inside the book. I mean, it is, it is almost identical to an inside panel where even the pant leg is sort of pulled up and he's dragging him by the bare leg. So Frank didn't even put a lot of effort into design. He just found a panel in there to redraw. And Terry Austin's inks overwhelm Frank Miller. I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's very Terry Austin and not very Frank Miller. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the face, like if someone told me that's, you know, without the scarf, I don't know that I would know that that's Tom Baker's face. The hair and the nose, maybe, but uh, it's a little hard to, to, to pick that out. Yeah, but it's upside down as well as it's like it's odd. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some shadows that are Miller-esque, but this is very, very early Frank Miller. Yeah. We're not, he's not yet the, as designy as he would become. I, I do like the striking green. For some reason, it's a really nice shade of green, and, and it sets off the sort of pinkish, purplish monster and the Doctor's multicolor and the logo. I just I think it works well. Yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, it's an interesting shot. Kind of feels, if you don't read the word balloon, if you read the story, the Malavillis, the main Malavillis is female, or at least, you know, disguises itself as a female is taking the doctor back to her cave for whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. It's kind of that caveman. Yep. Uh, I- look. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yep. But yeah, no, it's a it's a fun cover. I mean, these, these covers are, are the Doctor is is a fun character and a fun franchise, and that comes out in the covers. Absolutely, and especially issue sixty. And being that that was my very first Doctor Who comic ever, I am very partial to it, that painted cover. Yeah, it's cool. All right, you want to take us through the inside? So let's recap what happened in that first issue, if you will, because this is all going to not make sense <laughs> if we don't. Continuing story, absolutely. Right. I'll read it right off the page. Uh, the Doctor has discovered an alternative Earth where Rome never fell but but went on to conquer the galaxy. Now the Doctor finds himself in the Temple of the Gods, an alien spaceship, which is what really sounds like State of Decay, the, <laughs> the spaceship of the vampires, uh, and realizes the horrible truth about the Empire of the Caesars. The main characters here are General Ironicus, the robot leader. His Iron Legions have conquered the galaxy. There's the spoiled Emperor Adolphus and his mother Juno. The Doctor suspects her of being one of the aliens, and Morris, uh, ex-galley slave and gladiator, and Vesuvius, the oldest robot in Rome, kind of a comedy robot, they're the Doctor's comrades in this, like uh, makeshift companions. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Let's get into the issue. As the Malavillis, these demonic beings, devoured the human prisoners seized from the village in the previous issue, the doctor explains that they feed off death and are only five in number. Babion, Abyss, Epoch, Necros, and most importantly, Magog, the foulest of all. Vesuvius mentions that he knows the secrets of the gods, but the group is discovered by one of Ironicus's legionnaires before the robot can reveal anything more. Morris turns the tables and he, the doctor, and Vesuvius escape in an air car pursued by the Malavillis. They crash through an, obs- an observation window, but they're caught between the Malavillis inside and a robot flying squad outside. The heroes shoot down the flying squad with a confiscated gun that fires metal-eating bacteria. However, a damaged legionnaire shoots down the air car, which crashes close to the catacombs, and here Morris, mortally wounded in the crash, dies. It's a sad moment. He's up there with Sarah Kingdom. Yep. Well, yeah, about, <laughs> about as much longevity. In the catacombs, the doctor discovers the genetically engineered Bistarius, and they're deactivated, like beast-like monsters. Vesuvius warns him not to activate them, but the doctor believes they are their only weapon against the Malavillas. The doctor activates the Bistarius for 24 hours, programming them to attack strategic points in Rome. Then he and Vesuvius go to the Circus Maximus to confront Ironicus and Magog, a lot of these crazy names, eh? Uh, <laughs> uh, who, and Magog is, in fact, disguised as the Caesar's mother. Furious that the doctor has made a mockery of Ironicus's security, Magog destroys the general before transforming into her natural form and attacking the doctor. As the Bistarius attack and revolution spreads, Magog mentally tortures the doctor. He seizes a TV camera and broadcasts images of Magog as her true self throughout the empire, urging citizens to turn against the the abomination that's at the heart of Rome. But Magog is still not beaten and drags the doctor inside his TARDIS, intending to use it to conquer all creation because, you know, one universe isn't enough. However, (laughs) the, the doctor tricks her into activating a conduit to an empty dimension and she's sucked inside. The other Malavillis attempt to blast off in their ship, which explodes, again, state of decay. With Vesuvius uh, installed as the new emperor, the doctor recommends Caesar Adolphus be sent to a strict boarding school on some planet before leaving himself for a holiday, which I doubt he gets. Well, <laughs> considering the next story is called City of the Damned, probably not. <laughs> well, I have to agree with you. The coloring is much better on this story. It is, it's not spectacular, but it, the last issue was just so muddy. I mean, just a black... Look like we're smudged everywhere. Here, at least, you can still see most of Dave Gibbons' line work. Oh yeah, and there are even the like the zipatone effects are uh, actually come through. So, did you like this issue? The other issue gave us our, the setup, and it was a lot to absorb. If it's your, fir- I mean, if it is your first issue, and it's like, whoa, what is this? The Doctor's dimension hopping, which he really does. It's an alternate dimension. It's uh, it's bread and circuses in Star Trek, yeah. uh, and then it's got comedy robots, evil robots. And also demon creatures and <laughs> yeah, how many different elements are brought into it is a bit overwhelming. We're used to it. And so uh, it comes it goes down much better. And when you have moments like Morris's death, for example, which actually take a break to mourn him, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a panel for mourning. It feels less like it's throwing everything at you constantly. Normal for something was like Dr. Weekly actually showed this in four installments. What we just read was actually four 
four chapters told over a month. And so you've got to have cliffhangers every just like the show. <laughs> it's like yep. another cliffhanger, another cliffhanger, another cliffhanger. So there's a lot crammed in here. Here it seemed to breathe a little better. And, and I think part of it is we're, we're reading this as one continuous story where it was, as you said, was intended to be read in four, you know, four page increments. So I, I think it does feel like there's a lot going on because, you know, part four, you know, part five to part eight, so much happens, so much gets introduced. But if you're just to read those four pages by themselves, you, you get a, a, a smaller taste, the smaller pieces, not everything's, you don't have to deal with everything in there. And, and like you said, there's the, the slower parts too. So yeah. I kind of like the built-in cliffhangers because it, as you said, it does sort of mirror the show, which is pretty cool. I like that. But as far as comparing this to the first four parts that we covered in the previous episode, I do feel like this half is a little less 2000 AD than the first half. I felt like this is a little bit more like the template for future Doctor Who stories where, you know, the, he, he, he gets a makeshift companion in the adventure. The companion is either taken out or becomes a position of power. It happens to both in this case because, you know, Morris dies and then Vesuvius takes is, it becomes emperor, and then the doctor sort of slips away without any pomp and circumstance. I mean, that does become the formula for the comic strips, and, and there's always a dictator being overthrown, it seems like. Yeah, yeah one, th- one thing that sort of didn't sit well with me in this one is, you know, in, in, in many, many Doctor Who television stories and comics, the doctor incites a revolution. Happens all the time. You know, it's kind of the thing. But we don't normally see the re- revolution happening specifically with, like, the common citizens wrestling soldiers to the ground. Like, in this case, you actually see these common citizens wrestling one of the robot warriors to the ground and basically curb stomping him. It's pretty graphic. And it, th- that, like, kind of bothered me. I, 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 now, I know it's a robot, but still, I didn't really sit very well with me. <laughs> it, it felt a little graphic, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, Doctor Who's always been fairly violent, let's say. Not not very physical. They didn't really have very good fight stunt work normally, so you wouldn't see this kind of thing much. Hey, the Aztecs. Oh, yeah, but people, do, <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, not, not great fight choreography, uh, but you do have people dying all the time. It's yeah. it's much a much bloodier show than what most of American TV had produced uh, you know, over the same those same times in science fiction, anyway, or it feels like it, anyways. But it, it didn't bother me much. I don't know. I wasn't thinking of it. But yeah, you're right. It's that one moment is perhaps more violent than normal. I mean, even the you know the the, the robot that there's like an undead robot in here. One yeah, of the robots, it's the, been rotted away with the the virus. Yeah, and I mean he still he still wakes up and he looks like he's like a robot zombie in this. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a graphic image. It's interesting. It's something you wouldn't have seen on the show. This is not probably not possible to show it like much of this. I think there's a lot of imagination, both visual and in the story, which normal for both Mills and Gibbons to do this. But here I'm like the, in the first issue, I was a bit, I was overwhelmed with it. There was too much of it mm-hmm. here. It's charming me. Okay. Yeah. Here I, I th- and I think it is the, the reproduction is better. The shading is better. The colors are better. The line work is clearer. And I feel like I'm seeing many of these characters for the first time, even though they were in the other issue, he, here I'm seeing them as, you know, they've got more expression or they're clearer. So it makes me like it, like it more. Yeah. yeah. Well, General Ironicus is, is, has such a really cool visual design. I mean, yes, it's a screaming eagle and yes, it looks like a parrot at the same time, but he looks great and he really gets a chance, before he gets killed at least, he really gets a chance to shine in this one as far as how he looks. And um, I just really, really enjoy the look of that character. Yeah. I mean, it's got even the backgrounds, there's the 
they've got like robotic elephants firing from their <laughs> trunks in, in that battle. There's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, the doctor getting uh, becoming a skeleton when he's being tortured mentally. Uh, that is that is such a Grateful Dead moment. <laughs> it totally looks like a Grateful Dead uh, album cover or poster I've seen. I can't I can't quite place it, but that's straight out of Grateful Dead. I wonder if that was on purpose. Yeah, there's a mention of a Kronk burger. They're yep. selling Kronk burgers, which did come up in New Who. Yeah, uh, they're selling Kronk burgers in uh, on Satellite Five or whatever it was called at the time. I think it's the, Satellite the Five. Long game Ugh. in the long game, which is a terrible, Ugh. pretty terrible episode. But yes, it is. It's the worst episode of that first season. But still, Kronk burgers. They're just, you know the little mentions like this, just like that empty dimension that he just has sits, that sits around in the TARDIS. So, like all TARDISes are equipped with an extra dimension. Oh, okay, okay. Um, sure. But that was that was a very Tom Baker thing to do, though, to 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 sort of purposefully hide a button to make someone realize you're hiding a button, which generates their curiosity, which makes them go, "Aha! I'm going to push that button you're hiding." I mean, that that really felt like a very Tom Baker plot to me. Yeah, but at the same time, those extra dimensions, all that, it's very new adventures. It's very would come up in uh, post 1989 that kind of uh, tech tech wizardry, and uh, it feels a little bit like uh, what happens in um, at the end of uh, Human Nature in the tenth, in, well, the tenth Doctor version of it. The, bo- the book or the TV show? Oh, the, 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 yeah, the TV show version where okay, uh, the, you know, the family of blood is uh, somebody's trapped in a mirror, and the, oh, you know, yeah. the Doctor has punishments for them, and basically drops them into different dimensions. Or it's that kind of you know, the Doctor has access to all this stuff. We don't see it much. But it's for extreme <laughs> circumstances. Oh, foul demon, pocket right. dimension. Was well, it? That's maybe this is where Tennant got it from. David Tennant, you know, he he was echoing the the darker side of the Fourth Doctor. Yeah, it could be. They did another. They did a great job again. You know, uh, rendering the Fourth Doctor visually and his lines. Like, there's a great point where the Doctor brandishes a gun, which is sort of weird for the Doctor to do. He brandishes that metal rotting gun and he yells, "You know what this means? Ants in your pants!" Which was just such a weird non that it was perfect for Tom Baker. It's exactly the kind of thing I could hear him saying in in the scene, so I like that. And uh, by the way, I do have to mention, Vesuvius had a great little catchphrase I loved, which he always ended everything, whenever he was exasperated, he always said, these days. And I just liked that that was repeated over and over, and I just thought it sort of added something to that character. I thought that was nice. Yeah. He was a comedy robot in the first part. Here he feels like he's actually endearing. Yeah. You know, everything about this is, maybe we've just gotten used to it. It's it's very odd. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think they got their feet under him. I think what happened was, because, you know, they had four weeks already that was represented in the previous issue of Marvel Premiere. By this point they've been doing it for a month drawing you know 16 pages of it and i think they just kind of got their footing i think i think this flows more naturally because the guys figured out what they were doing yeah yeah it's the, it's really the first appearance of like a, one of the doctor's big speeches those big dramatic speeches oh yeah 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 actually he's pretty good at taunting ironicus early the parrot stuff but when he sends magog to hell essentially he says you can't die but you can be caged until the end of eternity you'll rule a kingdom beyond all kingdoms magog for now, you're the emperor of an of the empty dimension, lord of nothing, king of the big zero. No, uh, that's the kind of thing where the doctor needs to dress down the villain, even though the villain's defeated. You know, has to emasculate, or in, in this case, whatever, <laughs> uh, has to destroy the the monster's ego as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magog will return. I don't. I don't know. Did Magog ever? I, I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, and, I don't, and it's I don't still, think so. I can't get up. Well, it depends. And if you think that uh, these are crillitanes. But because uh, they look awesome. so much like the Krillitanes. <laughs> yeah, well, there's certainly some sort of branch of the demons 
or there have been many sort of demonic creatures that are actually uh, other dimensional or whatever uh, in Doctor Who. But the, the Seventh Doctor uh, expanded universe stuff is just full of it. Oh yeah, it's Elder it's, Gods and all that. Cthulhu's in there, all that. Yeah. Yep. So so yeah, the, the Doctor feels very Doctory in this. And the world feels a little bit of, of a piece with him. Definitely a winner. I, I agree. I, I agree. It was definitely a winner. I think the last four parts of this, as compared to Marvel Premiere number 57, I think it really brought it to a great conclusion. And again, I feel like this set the template for future Doctor Who comic stories. And I think that'll bear out uh, if, if people read those later Dave Gibbons stuff, either in Marvel Premiere or the, the Doctor Who reprints. And uh, I, I think they'll see that. So It's good stuff. So we should probably get to there's, – there's one more story in the issue. It's a backup story. Uh, besides this amazing Doctor Strange ad, by the way. But it's called Canine's Finest Hour. Now, to give you a frame of reference, this one was originally published also in black and white. It came from Doctor Who Weekly number 12, which was cover dated January 1980, which was uh, at the same time on TV was the Horns of Nymon. Everybody's favorite Horns of Nymon. Uh, see, when I think of season 17 groaners, that's what I think of. So, Okay. <laughs> now, this was a four-page story scripted by Steve Moore. No relation to Alan Moore. Art by Paul Neal. So I'll just, it's, it's super short, little cute, it's a cute little story. I'll just do my little recap real quick and then we'll get right into it. The TARDIS is hurtling through space when it's hit by a gravitronic tractor beam. And the doctor looks down at K9 and K9 vanishes right before his eyes. And we follow K9 as he rematerializes and finds himself on the surface of a planet called Yamato. We meet these two bumbling would be kidnappers, Firindale and Ralgoth, and they were trying to capture and kill the doctor. Apparently they were hired by the Centaurans. Uh, K9 realizes their intentions and attacks them, attacks these uh, would-be kidnappers. They manage to grab a hold of K-9 and they make sure to point his head away from them so he can't zap them with his nose blaster. And they order their robot to march out into the desert and dump K-9 as far, far, far away. Well, uh, and they're going to try and make a grab for the doctor again Well, during all this. K-9 manages to disable the robot and blast his head off. I've never seen his stun beam so awesomely used. And K-9 returns to stop the kidnappers before they can make another grab for the doctor. K-9 saves the day, and he and the Doctor fly off to their next adventure. Again, very short, brief adventure, but I thought it was a lot of fun. It makes a perfect little backup story. Did you enjoy this one? Mm, I, I didn't care for it that much. Hate hate you, podcast over. It's it's cute, yes. but uh, you know what bugged me? What? It, it started with the Doctor t- talking to the reader and saying, some of you have been wondering what's happened to my little friend K-9. Okay, so just for you, here's what, what's happened to K-9. This is not what ha- what's happened to K-9. This is a story where the Doctor is also present. It feels, because of the way, the context of the issue, I know that's not how it was actually published, but the context of the issue itself is that here's the Doctor. He's obviously between Leela and Romana. Yeah. That's where this has, this, that's the story placement for these stories because he doesn't have a companion with him yet. And so it's got to be in between those things. But in between those two stories, he's got K9 with him. He, you know, he opens up a, at the end of the Invasion of Time, the last Leela story, he's got a, a, a second K9. Yep. So we know that he should be with K9. K9, I guess he's in the bowels of the TARDIS, but during these stories. This story says, well, this little story says, starts with, here's what's happened, what's been, what's happened to, to K9, why he's not in these stories. Well, that, that's not, the, that's not the story here. It's just like a weird, it's like a bad introduction to it. I'm sorry, but. You're really hung up on this one very poorly drawn panel. <laughs> 
clearly someone lightboxed a picture of Tom Baker and just traced <laughs> over it for this panel because it's it's definitely a tracing of a, of a photo and uh, it's Tom Baker looking surly actually. <laughs> yeah, pockmarked. Yeah. But but the story itself, I mean, the story itself is cute. The the, the other robot is cutely drawn. You're right about the laser beam or the whatever the full power stun blast. Yep, it's a cool image, well rendered. No, you know, it's it's fluff. I I, I have to say, I'm not that much of a fan of canines all that much. You're uh, making so many enemies today. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, K9 is uh, K- whatever. Do you really need? You really need to stop where you're ahead. Then I will. But <laughs> the most confusing no. part of the story is when K9 blasts the robot, and he's in this desert on his way back to go stop the kidnappers. The part that confuses me is how exactly Daredevil stopping Johnny Punk with Hostess Fruit Pies really plays into the story. I mean, it's a nice little segue and, you know, a, a counter scene, but I don't see how it fits exactly with Canine's adventure. But, well, uh, whatever. Who am I to say? Well, somebody will teach you about what, you know, what ads are eventually. <laughs> eventually, it's bound to happen. Somebody on one of these podcasts. It's not going to be me. Right. Somebody's <laughs> going to teach you the difference between, you know, a comic story and, a, and, a, and an ad drawn as a comic. But it won't be me. I, I won't be the one. Tell well, you spent you spent too much time on it already, so move on, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's a little. I mean, yeah. I know people want to read about K nine, and he's a good comic book character. I think he's like the Daleks. When yep. he's a, he's a good visual, and as a comic book character, he works quite better than the than the prop that they had to work with sometimes <laughs> on the show. That's the real reason K9 doesn't appear in most comic stories is because the prop was stuck in the TARDIS, wouldn't move. <laughs> That's it. We saw the, the the Legion story as just how could the robot how could the robot dog do all that stuff? It's just there's right. no room for him on the air car and oh exactly they had to keep him at home. Paul Neary's art is gorgeous. Like on, on the first page, the face of one of the kidnappers with his beard and he's just yelling at the robot. It, it's so artistically done and he's such a great illustrator. I love it. I love the robot. He looks a lot like I don't know if you ever read. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles way back in the day. But they had a character called Fugitoid. It looks a lot like Fugitoid to me. This would, of course, have been before Fugitoid, but it has sort of that same aesthetic of, like, fun, curvy, bubbly-looking robot is kind of the, the, the best way to describe it. Yeah. I enjoy that. The way K-9 kills that robot is... <laughs> Pretty good. I mean, it's borderline gory. The robots in this, in this whole issue, when robots die, you feel it. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely like almost a Jim Aparo level punch because he he could draw a punch that looked like it genuinely hurt, and canine shearing off the head of this robot just is yeah. like, oh god, oof, ragdolling across um, re- <laughs> really three panels. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's violent. Good but, on you, canine. Uh, yeah. Well, it's probably the best moment. <laughs> probably. Now, I love these little backups, and they put a lot of these kinds of things in the back of these Doctor Who reprints. You know, sometimes it'd be a four-page Absalom Dax story. Sometimes it'd be a four-page uh, just Dalek adventure. Sometimes, again, a four-page canine adventure, whatever. Uh, and Sometimes werewolf by night. Yeah, that's true. That's coming up, too. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love these little itty-bitty short backup stories from Doctor Who that just gives you another taste of the Doctor Who world. And uh, I love this. I think it's fun. So I'm a fan of this backup story. And you're just horribly mistaken, sir. Uh, it's okay. I, I, I can be wrong. And you are. So, Did you notice the, the planet named Yamato? It's got to be a reference to Star Blazers. So, you know, clearly Steve Moore's a fan of Star Blazers and, and just had to bring uh, mention the Yamato in there, I think. 
And I was wondering if the kidnappers, their name Ferendel and Ralgott, I mean, they seem really specific. I wonder if those are references to something else that I'm just not getting. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like vaguely Lord of the Rings-ish, but... Um, yeah, kind of, yeah. Maybe it's their, like their D&D characters. <laughs> Let's put our D&D characters in here. Yeah. Could very well be. Could very well be. One's a thief, the other's a cleric. So Anyway, I think this is going to wrap up our coverage of Marvel Premiere number 58. Folks, right in, let us know what you think of these. Siskoid and I sort of have ambitions of covering a couple more of these somewhere down the line, and we'd love to hear some feedback from you on what you think of it. And also, tell us some of your Doctor Who origin stories. Tell us who your favorite Doctors are, or tell us who uh, how you first got exposed to the show, or your favorite eras of the comics. We would love to hear that kind of stuff in the feedback, and that the best place to leave that is over on the fireandwaterpodcast.com website. Just go to the uh, Aquaman and Firestorm show, and uh, go up there, and you'll find this episode and leave comments there. Siskoid, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? And also be sure to mention your Doctor Who pedigree, sir. Well, my, my Doctor Who pedigree. If you're Well, if you're looking for just Siskoid stuff, as usual, always the same places. I write two articles a day on Siskoid's blog of geekery. You can Google that. Uh, I write three articles a week on, um, what's it called, the Legion of Super Bloggers? Well. <laughs> Clearly e- you're, you're invested in that. Easy to Google. Well, you know, it's it's late. Uh, it's okay. R- Russell's not listening to that anyway. He doesn't like Doctor Who. Uh, that's <laughs> true tonight he asked me a question which was <laughs> uh, what's the name of the ship in doctor who you know, oh my gosh russell oh just, that happened uh, <laughs> uh and so legion of super bloggers that's also easily uh, googled and on the fire and water uh, podcast network obviously i have several shows oh hot more not first strike invasion uh the lonely hearts romance comics podcast and more recently give me that star trek you can find that as well. As for my Doctor Who pedigree, if you're looking for a Ciscoid beyond, <laughs> well, I am working on a series of source books for the Doctor Who uh, role-playing game. Woohoo! cover each doctor's adventures outside the canon so there are very good source books from cubicle seven about each doctor great books look great uh read great even for people who aren't playing the game uh we're doing a sort of encyclopedia with stats for each monster and ally and planet uh whatever in the the novels the audios the comic books uh some of these the characters we discussed today actually find their way into the fourth doctor source book working on the fifth doctor source book now one or two come out every year it's it's a big it's a, it's a lot of work uh but you can if the Cisco's blog of geekery there is a tab for it you can you can easily access the uh, the books you can find and they're all free pdfs we we don't make any money on this obviously we don't own doctor who it's a labor of love with a lot of great contributors contributing text and even art to the project so check that out please and if you're really really keen on more Ciscoid and Doctor Who combinations. Uh, there is oh, a book- goodness. We are going deep, aren't we? There is a book called Outside In. Uh, there are two books called Outside In, actually, which are essays about strange essays or weird, weird angles on essays about uh, Doctor Who on each episode by as many authors as there are episodes or uh, stories. There was a book uh, for the classic Doctor. I'm not in there, but they got to me by the second book, the book on New Who. I do have a text in there. I, I think I'm going to be having text in all Outside In books from now on. Oh, wow. Uh, they're doing Star Trek right now. They're not, there should be a, an Outside In boldly goes. So that's ATB, I, I think I, ATP Publishing. It's a very small house, but you can order these books online. Just uh, go to their website. That's awesome. So which uh, episode did you cover? For Doctor Who, I I was handed. So I was assigned att- the Attack of the Grask. Oh, that's awesome. 
awesome. An interactive episode. So obviously I did it as if you had choices like a sort of what what if I fail and what if I <laughs> succeed <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. So it's a, it's a fun article. I, we had fun with it. So that's some extra Ciscoid Doctor Who stuff. It's just I, a page. It's just I, a page. But if you're a fanatic. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to go and start talking about your uh, uh, homemade custom cl- uh, card game you made for Doctor Who back in the day, which is when you and I first bumped into each other a zillion, zillion years ago. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that's uh, going that's, back a ways. Yeah, that's still, that's on Ciscoid.com. So um, it's still there. There's like a first edition and a, a start on a second edition, which looks better, but I had to abandon it because other projects and, I, you know, after after so many years on it, there are thousands of cards to this game. It's actually playable. Uh, in its way. <laughs> I've got to mention a quick thing of my own Doctor Who pedigree, which made me feel sort of vindicated in my Hoodum, Hoodum fandom, something like that. Uh, you mentioned the Cubicle 7 role-playing game. Uh, the first edition, when David Tennant was still the Doctor, when it was... Re- I think. Hold on. i got to look at the cover. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. I'll start yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the David Tennant first edition, I am actually credited in the credits as one of the original playtesters for the game, and uh, that was a very proud moment for me. And, and a couple of the, the devices in the game actually were ideas of mine I submitted to Cubicle 7 they ran with so I feel I feel very uh, vindicated I guess in my Doctor yeah. Who nerdum and I got one of my concepts into one of the, the um, into the, the rules as well uh, when they well they took it off my website basically <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and, and I got I didn't get a credit, but I I was told by the author that they took my or by the uh, playtester that they took my idea, uh, which was to give for, for kids that have to go to school. So mm-hmm. what, what they did the kids that hang out with Clara, whatever they they uh, they actually adapted a little a little rule. I sort of you know a lot a tweak to an advantage or a disadvantage that uh, you had a responsibility to go to school. You know your age actually forced you to go to school. That was like a, a duty a special oh, kind okay. of duty thing. Yeah. Uh, so they used ex- exactly my wording on it uh, it's cool well if you ever use the engram eraser or the engineer's mate in the game those were mine bravo <laughs> well folks uh, oh you can also find me obviously on the fire and water podcast network I'm part of uh, the firestorm and aquaman show I'm part of the who's who podcast part of the justice league international blah ha ha podcast uh, you can also find me on twitter and facebook under firestorm fan all around the corners of the internet I'm just infesting little sections and just ticking people off and being irredeemable so I think that's going to do it, and I'm looking forward to doing some more Doctor Who stuff in the future with you, Siskoid. Thank you for being here. And folks, until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave, and steal the TARDIS. Ashford, what is Straight Out of Gallifrey? Straight Out of Gallifrey is a podcast where Josh and I talk about Doctor Who episodes, classic and new, featuring other Time Lords as well as the Doctor. There are other Time Lords? Oh yes, it started all the way back with the first Doctor, William Hartnell. Oh yeah, you told me about that, the Time Meddler. That's correct, Kirsten. Where can I find the episodes? You can always go to straightoutofgallifrey.lipson.com. I don't think I'll remember that. Just add us on Twitter. We are so Gallifrey, like S-O Gallifrey. Twitter feeds move too fast. I always miss stuff. Well, subscribe to us on iTunes. That way, every time we upload a new episode, you will get the alert on your smarting device. Cool. Thanks. I can't wait to listen. Okay, Kirsten. See you later. Why are you walking into that blue box? I'm going to have a couple of drinks with Mother Teresa of Calcutta. See ya. You always say that. Whoa. It is real. So he 
does have drinks with Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Coming to media players everywhere in 2017 from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beginning with the origin of his comic book fandom and ending with the destruction of the universe. Professor Zoom Yukonori leads a monthly expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. While promising unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts. Thrill to the imagination. Bask in the brilliance. Experience the wonder of... The Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Discover how compressed storytelling can broaden one's mind. Listen for it wherever Fire and Water Podcast Network podcasts are networking. Gallifrey One Convention 2016. Hello, as you heard in the opening, I'm here live at uh, Gallifrey 1, 2016, uh, the Gallifrey 27, I guess is what it's called. I'm here, with, I'm here with David Ace Gutierrez, who I say his name wrong horribly every time. So, David, say hello to the folks at home. Hi, folks at home. For those of you who don't know, and that's probably most of you, David and I used to host a little podcast called the Ultraverse Podcast, um, Prime of Your Life. <laughs> we, we cranked out, I think, a whopping seven, maybe eight episodes, three of which were a cheat. No, listen, we gave... We gave people what they wanted. They wanted cutting-edge content, and that's what we gave them in the form of those audio comics. <laughs> so, no, it was all it was all strong material, much like the Ultraverse itself, cut down in its in its infancy. Yeah, truthfully, I think we we were actually bought out by Marvel uh, for for David and I's coloring process, and they they shut us down. Say. Yeah, we can't talk about that. So anyway, we are here at Gallifrey One, which is a Doctor Who convention, something we don't really talk about very often on the Firewater Podcast, because Rob hates it. Hates it with the passion of a thousand burning suns. He hates Doctor Who as much as he hates the Legion, I hear. Why does he hate Doctor Who? I would think that falls right within his wheelhouse. He can't stand anything British. He doesn't like boiled food. It's nothing. You know, Andy, you know, from Hey Kids Comics, it's just... He hates all of that stuff. That's that's terrible because they're. I mean, they're a small place, but they're just, they're packed with such good music and and, uh, and good television. And the Leyland boys are so nice. So. Yes, one of them. One of them. Oh, leaves you to wonder which. Okay, so uh, David, this is your first Gallifrey. It's, it is. It's my third. What do you think? I love it. Um, I as a guy who's gone to San Diego, a, like over a dozen times, this is the nicest convention I've ever been to. San Diego is um, a friend of mine calls it the death march of. Batan. And it's, uh, it, it, yeah, this is, people bump into me here and they apologize. They're actually genuinely sorry. They ask how my day's going, if I'm appreci- if I'm enjoying the convention. Nobody's a, a jerk. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's very spoiling because if this is the only, if you go from this to something else, you'll be, you'll probably be jaded forever. Well, it, it, along those lines, David actually brought someone with him to the convention. Um, he brought this young lady, an actress he's hired to, <laughs> To play his wife, because there's no way this woman married him. She's far too beautiful and fun and enjoyable. There's there's absolutely no way she's been married to you. But anyway, this is her first convention, first big convention it like is. this. And she's, she's never going to want to – any other convention you go to, she's going to be let down. Because as David said, everyone here is so nice. When you're waiting in line, 
they just everyone turns around. They start, oh, like who's your favorite doctor? Oh, how long have you been here? And it's just the friendliest atmosphere. I love, that's why I come back every year. I, it's kind of weird because I'm such a standoffish person by nature, and um, he's I, a bit of an asshole. Can you say that? I didn't know we could go. Okay, I'm allowed to go blue. You're okay. Not. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a standoffish person by nature, and I don't really talk to people. And so all these friendly, nice human beings living in a city where it's millions of densely populated millions of people and nobody wants to see one another. Oh, we're in Los Angeles, by the way. We probably should have said that. Yes, in uh, in L.A., my hometown. You can hear the authentic LAX airplane noise behind us. We're sitting outside on the grass in February. Um, It's it's wonderfully warm, basking in the glow of the sun and uh, enjoying the sound of airplanes flying overhead. And you are too now. And And the sound of Shag's voice. As you should. Apropos of nothing. Yesterday, Shag met his first fan. Somebody recognized his voice. And, and, then, and the pictures from Tumblr. And came up to him and said, are you Shag? He said, are you the irredeemable Are you the irredeemable Shag? Shag? He said, are you the irredeemable Shag from the Firewater podcast and the Who's Who podcast and views from the Long Box? That man, Rob Kelly. No. No. <laughs> no. His name is Brian Ng. He's now my favorite nuclear sub. Terribly sorry, Luke Dobb. Uh, he, he, yeah. he's, he's, he's my hero. But he said, when he, when he said all that, I'm pretty sure he then said views from the Long Box is his favorite show. Which, was, which has nothing to do with you guys, right? It was a bit of a backhanded compliment, I think. But that's okay. I'll take it. Who's Wait, is that? Who is that? Is that Paul O'Connor? With the uh, Views in the Long Box? Yeah. Well, no, he, that's Long Box Graveyard. Right. Yeah, right. Views in the Long Box. I've, I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever heard the show. I think the host was on our show one time, but he didn't bring an in-stock trades recommendation. Oh, Michael Bailey. That, that's his name. Thank you. I couldn't come up with it. Yeah. No, that, no it was, it was uh, as a first-hand witness to this thing, I... Words fail me. Because, first off, if you recognize Shag, why acknowledge that? <laughs> Especially in a room of crowded people who, who, who see, who all of a sudden Shag became a big deal to the people around us because it, it's that, it's that sense of curiosity. Like, why is this guy making a big deal about this, this weird, lecherous faced, like hideous man? Why is he saying, hey, you're that guy and not pressing charges? So it's, it's a great thing. I like lecherous. I, th- I think I, I might become the lecherous shag. I've done some leering while we've been you here. It's fair to say. It's quite a bit. I behaved, around, I behaved around your wife. Yeah, barely. But it, barely. Barely is the right word for it. If you weren't there. In fact, David's leaving later and his wife will be here. So all bets are off, folks. In fact, David might not be speaking to me after I this. Might have, I might have to find a new family. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Doctor Who. David, when did, when did you get into Doctor Who? It's kind of a weird, hazy memory for me. I remember growing up with, with Tom Baker, yet I, I seem to remember at John Pertwee, and I don't know where I would have seen that. Um, it was shown on the PBS station right before Saturday Night Live. and uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I, it was a Saturday night. How old were you? Uh, seven. You were staying up yeah. until, until oh. 10.30 at night when you were seven years old. Uh, to take it back, as a kid, I wanted to be a stand-up comic. Is this, so, where, is this where your parenting skills come from? Yeah. <laughs> I have a child? <laughs> no, um, no, uh, yeah, well, I wanted to be a stand-up for a while, for a while. and then, uh, so I would follow Sketch, and anyway, and so, uh, my neighbor had told me about this show called Doctor Who, he knew I loved science fiction, he thought I might like it, so I gave it a try, and I remember thinking, even as a little kid, man, this looks cheap, because <laughs> I, I remember, uh, Tom Baker point, the Tom Baker doctor pointing a screwdriver at something, and the panel exploded. And I thought a laser was supposed to come out or something, being spoiled by Star Wars and Star Trek. Right. I thought, they can't even afford a laser effect. What's going on? And I remember <laughs> seeing a Cyberman and, uh, and thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? These look like, like the Halloween costumes that we have. But I just really got pulled into it. One reason I got pulled into it was because of Lila. Well, um, I, could, I could understand that. Um, 
uh, yeah, she was. For those who don't know, she she's a, a cave girl, savage. She's a savage, right? She's a oh, beautiful voice, just stunning woman, stunning. She wore basically uh, what equated to a, a leather one piece bikini. Essentially, right. is what she wore running around the set like all the time. She looks like Sheena, essentially, um, and uh, she, she'd make a man of you. Any young man watching uh, the show, yeah. Well, that comes later in the form of Perry, uh, but. Um, but yeah, I remember, and it's strange for Shad because I remember seeing Sarah Jane episodes. So yep. they must have been shown out of sequence. If I remember seeing Leela earlier than that, you know, memories. Well, a lot of times what they do is they'd cycle through what they owned, Maybe. and then they'd repeat. That could yeah. be how you saw John Pertwee. They might have got through whatever baker oh, they had, possible. gone back to Pertwee, and just showed what they had. PBS was like that. Because I remember then seeing it, uh, your your doctor number five at Davison, and being really confused because those per I get that I know what the TARDIS is. Who are these people? Because it was an Adric. You know, Adric was there. Um, uh, Tegan. Uh, uh, N- Nisa. I don't think Turlow. That would be Nissa. Well, Nissa, well sorry, played. Sorry. Have you seen the show? Nissa, it's called Doctor Who. Turlow, I don't think was there. But it was it was Davison. And I, I was very confused why this younger guy looking like he... I didn't know what cricket was, but I knew that this is a sport look. Uh, was there with these other three people. Two, one of them was a child. And in my TARDIS. was it my TARDIS, but you know. And then, so I stuck with it for a few years. So what's the first episode you remember seeing? You can actually fully? remember. Yeah, full episode. Um, what's the one where Romana changes costumes? Or, uh, Des- uh, Destiny of the Daleks, where she regenerates? That's the first one I saw, where she was regenerating. I think that's the first one I remember really okay. fully seeing. All right. And then, uh, yeah, then, and then I, the Baker years were kind of spotty. And then McCoy, I saw a few episodes of. And I liked him, and then it just ended. So what year would you say you got into it? What, what year was uh, it? So I was seven. 83. Okay, yeah. Well, then you hung out for a walk because McCoy didn't even come around until 87. Yeah, but again, it was spotty. CBS, I remember, I was so, it was so hard to find it. I remember watching, expecting Doctor Who to come on in this crappy show called Blake 7. How oh, did, I, no, you, I everyone hates you. No, I just mean, this wasn't what it's supposed to be on. Comes on, and uh, like, okay, what? Why am I watching? Okay, I'll settle in for this. And I was glad I did, especially for the ship that clearly looked like it was two hair dryers. Or a hairdryer that was bisected and painted over something else. I thought, wow, these guys, the British know how to use a budget, man. But yeah, I've, I've loved to since. Uh, then there was the wilderness years where there was nothing. I loved my doctors, McGann. Okay. And uh, yeah, so, and then here we are. I, I didn't even know about this until Shaq told me about this three years ago because I, I stayed away from Who fandom yeah. for some reason. They're a scary bunch. Well, no, but like I, I love Star Trek, but I've never gone to a Star Trek convention. Well, if you look at the hierarchy of fandoms, yeah. like wh- which fandoms are cool and which aren't. Your now- fandom apparently is very cool. <laughs> well, if we shut up, if we go back in time before the real ramp of Doctor Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go back to say 2004, before it came back in 2005, you, know, you look. Star Wars fans were always cool. You see the Star not Wars- true. Shay. Yes, they in, two, in the 2000s. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, you see guys walking in stormtrooper armor. They were cool. Star Trek fans, they were okay. We've never been cool. Doctor Who fans, <laughs> we were the ones that got made fun of. The only yes. ones, the, I mean, in the Astralonic Geekdom, I mean, really, the only people the Doctor Who fans were allowed to make fun of were furries. It was, it was it. easier to ask for drugs than to ask for Doctor Who paraphernalia in the 80s. That's I mean. true. That's true. <laughs> Can I tell you, I've never, I, I hadn't witnessed a regeneration until the, the movie. Which movie? Oh, the 96 yeah. movie? Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I never saw one. Oh, well, yeah. okay, here you go. So I was watching the Tom Baker stuff, right? And then within the first few months of me watching it, I figured out this regeneration thing. And I heard about Peter Davison, even though he was already had been the doctor for three years, you know. And I was angry. I was angry as hell. Because you were going to lose your guy. I was, my guy had left, and some guy took his job. And I was pissed off. 
I didn't want to have know anything. I didn't want to have anything to do with Peter Davison. I was angry as hell. Right. And then, of course, five minutes into Castrovalva, I'm like, I was in. You know, and, and he's your man, and he's my doctor. You know, it's it, because you have to think about this. The only uh, ex- exposure I had to kind of a substitute was Coy and Vance. Okay, so like the idea that's yep. from the Dukes of Hazard. I the, think they the all know dudes, that. What fifth season? I don't know which season, is, but they all know what you're talking about. Um, so to go from your guys or your guy to somebody else. But I never, I never got to see the met- the change. Okay, if you will. So Davison was my guy. Yeah, I actually got to see the five doctors the day it went out on the twentieth anniversary. Oh, they, they made a deal about doing yep. that. Yeah, they showed it here in the states. We actually got to see it two days before the British people. That's right. So we saw saw it on November twenty third. We had a our, like me and four other guys. We had a Doctor Who party at this one kid's house. Um, we all watched it. How are those four guys doing in life? Oh my gosh, I'm the only one that's married. And and, and I'm not going to tell them to listen to this because I'm in touch with all of them. And still out of jail. No. no, none of them are in jail. One of them is very successful uh, living in Seattle. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You have this very ornate setup, this recording setup, I've noticed, Shag. Um, you like the head mics? Well, it's weird. He's got this board that has notes on it. It's like one of them says, set up, then punchline, and then then is underlined three times. Okay. There's uh, another note to himself that says, it's fire and water, not water and fire, Rob. Don't forget that. Don't don't mention the notes that mention Rob. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm going to cut this out anyway. You, you it's going to offend him. You can be funny. Well, I, it's more of a like a, a personal affirmation thing, you know, like telling myself it's, a, it's okay. People like me. I can be funny. It's okay. No. But you're like here and you have a fan. <laughs> you know, Brian Ng's going to listen to this. He's going to hate us. He's going to absolutely hate us. Well, He's going to hate you. So anyway, so we meet Brian Ng, I right? I have a fan. We meet Brian Ng, right? And then, uh, um, and he, you know, we're talking and he goes, you're your email shag, whatever. And then David, without missing a beat, goes, oh, hi, I'm Rob Kelly. <laughs> And I immediately stopped him. I'm like, no, he's not. Can I say this, though? When he was, I was actually happy for you because I thought, they like our show. And I thought, wait, what the hell am I talking about? This isn't my show at all. Yeah, David tried to talk about the Ultraverse podcast. And, <laughs> and Dave, Brian was not having it. Was not having His it. His eyes just glaze over. Speaking of. No, no, no. We're still talking about Dr. Who. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, when when did you, so did you, did you ever lapse as a Dr. Who? Oh, certainly. Because everything was so spotty, it got replaced by like seven for, for no reason. I didn't know. I thought, did the show end? Because you know, pre-internet days and Doctor Who fandom, you might, it, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, so there wasn't a lot of, of, of uh, sight. And growing up in the 80s, not a lot of guys I could talk to about this sort of thing. My neighbor who told me about it didn't, you know, he, he didn't have access, he didn't have any zines or anything. David had to go down to the YMCA <laughs> and meet guys that, you know, would quietly talk about it in the locker room. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> oh God! And uh, and um, so I, you know what? When I would go to local conventions, that always took place in hotel rooms. Lobo. Local convention. Oh, local. Okay. Yeah, everyone had a Lobo convention. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was the nineties. These bastards. And uh, no, there was like a Doctor Who guy who would have a short box with sometimes scripts or just weird randomness. If you were lucky, he might have some news about the latest incarnation. So I would find out, oh, there's a new doctor. Who is he? This guy named Colin Baker. What? Who? He shows me a picture, but what the? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, I'll look for it. He says, yeah, it's a PBS. You gotta, he said, you got to call PBS. you got to ask them. So I would sometimes ask for air times, and uh, they would give them to me. So I would see these random random episodes. Like, So I saw Perry... With the fourth doctor and... Perpiculium Brown, played by Nicola Bryant. My wife with the fifth doctor. And then I saw her again with the sixth. And then all of a sudden, there's this red-headed lady, you know? Bonnie Langford. Mel. Mel, with, with, with the sixth. And then 
Daleks with this short guy in a sweater and an umbrella. You, you know what I mean? Who, who looks like the penguin from Batman. He'd be nice to Sylvester McCoy. I love Sylvester McCoy. I'm just saying he's such a far cry physically from everybody else. Who's with this beautiful, beautiful young woman in a jacket that says Ace. You're talking about Sophie Aldrin? Yeah. Ah. And uh, so, yeah, it was just... It just so, wait, uh, David Ace Gutierrez. Is I'm that, not saying is that where Ace comes only from, from that. Ah. But, yeah. So, you were not born with Ace. <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. Maybe your parents loved Kiss. I don't know. They do. Okay. No, I do. But yeah, so it was. Uh, it wasn't until. Can, can you say Brill or uh, for me? Or I'm not going to do that. What was her? What was her? Ace. Ace, and, but she also said Brill all the time. That's Brill. Nitro Nine. Yeah. No, I never. Oh, she's adorable, isn't she? She absolutely is. Yeah. I had a huge crush on her too. I'll admit it. Yeah, and that's so ninety. Totally hot. Ninety five. All of a sudden, there's this movie that's going to take place. I was very interested in it. I got to see it, and then that was it. And then I got to work at Fox in 97, and I did find some Doctor Who, the movie, just stuff laying around. Oh, my gosh. Like like promo material of The Master. It was all Eric Roberts stuff, so I didn't take it. Did you steal it? No, I didn't take it. It was Eric Roberts. And But, yeah, so there was nothing. There was absolutely – it was just – there was nothing. And I never bought the magazine. I didn't follow any convention. It was so good. You should have got the magazine. I should have because I realized the comics are great. Going back and buying the – was it Panini? Yep. Um, books has has been has been wonderful, but that's yeah. So that's where I am. Well, I I lapsed. Um, I you know I, I was a devout follower of Peter Davison, and I, and I call him my doctor because he was the new doctor on television at the time. So you were how old again? Nine. Uh, no, I was probably 11, 11, at that, 11 to, uh, when did he leave? He left in 84, 85. So yeah. So I was, you know, anyway, that was my era with that. And then Colin, ba- I, in fact, I met Peter Davison in 1986 at a convention, him and John Nathan Turner. They were in a convention in my hometown and got to meet Peter Davison. And that was pretty, pretty Who's Turner like? I don't remember. I was very young. Okay. Anyway, so I, I, I met Peter Davison. He was very nice and, you know, made an impact. I mean, that's when Colin Baker was taking over the show and they, they aired some episodes for us and we're like, what the hell are we watching? You know, it's. The Colin Baker era is not for me. It's your favorite theme, though. No, 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 no none of it is. <laughs> anyway, so I actually lapsed during the Colin Baker years. I just his first season was so bad, I, I walked away. And then when Sylvester McCoy took over, I was like, okay, well, I saw like some PBS thing, and there were oh, they were airing Peter Davison episodes, so I was watching those. And then they said, oh, here's the new Doctor Sylvester McCoy. I'm like, okay, I'll give him a try. And I saw an episode called Dragonfire, which is abysmal. Okay, it's absolutely abysmal. And I said, and I said, this is what Doctor Who is now. This is awful. And I walked away again. But then I came back uh, when the new season started and I saw Remembrance of the Daleks. I saw Next Gen was on by this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing, too. You look at you look at Next Gen and you look at Dragonfire and no, no. They had the leftover budget. Right. (laughs) So you, the last two seasons of Sylvester McCoy were exceptional. I fell in love with him as the Doctor. He's wonderful. He is wonderful. And then the books, the books started coming out in nineteen eighty three. Right. The New Adventures. I started reading those. Uh, there's sixty one of those books. I think I've read thirty plus of them. Yeah. Uh, and then the TV movie came out in ninety six. Yeah. I watched that as it went out. Thought Paul McGann was amazing because he is. He is. He is the Doctor. You know, the, it's funny you mentioned the books. I I really never touched them for a long time because coming from comics. And a big fan of movies. The, the books always seem like almost like a tertiary canon. You know what I mean? Like, even if you enjoyed them, they never quite seem to matter to people. Yeah. And for Star Trek especially, right? Like, they had their own thing, but you always knew, like, well, 
this is like a fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Well, well, oh, you go ahead. I'm sorry. No, so I, I, I made the mistake of staying from the book away from books for a long time, which was stupid because some of the best stories are there. Well, the difference there with Doctor Who and Star Trek was the Star Trek was already on TV, so the books were coming out, right? Which you could watch the TV show too. Yeah. With Doctor Who, the books didn't start coming out until after the series was gone. Right. We all we all had just given up by that point. Ninety three, we're like, well, it ain't coming back. It's been four years, and so these these books were the were considered essentially canon. They were like, this is what happens to the Doctor next. And the comics continued. And the comics continued, yeah. and they were in sync with the books for a while. Then they diverged, which is a whole... they killed my ace. Well, they killed your case. The... So once they killed ace in the comics, it was a whole bunch of like, oh, crap, the books in the comics don't match up any year anymore. Hence the term wilderness years, which is, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of material, but you kind of had to go find it, and everyone was doing their own thing, forging their own paths. So it very much was the wilderness years of Doctor Who. 96 comes along, we get the TV movie, everyone gets back in sync again, nothing comes out of the TV movie. So we get more books, we get more comics, all these things. And the new ill-defined Doctor. Yeah, and audio dramas, and everyone's again doing their own thing. Still, it's the second phase of the wilderness years. So it wasn't until 2005 until everything sort of synced up again. But that era from 93 to 2005 of books... That, that's like my favorite era of Doctor Who because at, at that point I could buy every single Doctor Who thing that came out. You still can. No, you cannot. Sell your house. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but you, you can't. No, actually, even then, I don't think you could keep up with everything. Just the quantity the clothing of clothing alone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I back then you could buy every every book, yeah. every audio, every comic, every magazine. You could do it all. And I met John Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're at Gallifrey One. Let's talk about that. Gallifrey One. That's baby Jack. We're going to come back to John Hurt in just a second. Major guests from Doctor Who World are Peter Davison, my hero. Don't uh, bury the lead. Colin, Co- Baker. Colin Baker, David's hero. <laughs> um, John Hurt, some guy. Sir John Hurt. Uh, we've got... Uh, Chase Masterson. Chase Masterson. Michelle Gomez, who plays Missy. We've got Ingrid Oliver. Ingrid Oliver, who plays Osgood. Who's wonderful. Oh, gosh, yeah. And there's a million, million, zillion other. Fraser Hines, you know. Sarah Douglas. Uh, Sarah Douglas. Uh, Nicola Bryant. So there's a lot of people. Go out to the website and look it up. I'm tired of naming names. Uh, so, David, tell us your John Hurt experience. Well, okay, so the first time, I, I, I rarely do this, but I actually bought a photo with someone, and it was with, with John Hurt. And I and um, I, for those of you who don't do this, they, it's a, it's a fat machine. It, you know, you line up, and there's just like one after the other, after the other, after the other. So I, I meet him and I look at him. I shake his hand and I don't know whether how to address him, I'm like oh, sir or whatever. And I just keep staring because he is a knight. He yeah, is Sir knight. John Hurt. But like, it, how many knights do I meet? It's always Mister, right, or something, or, or Ms. And uh, and and so I, I freeze and he says, "You have to look at the camera." <laughs> <laughs> you took stage direction from John Hurt. I've been directed by John Hurt, guys. And then uh, um, and then I turn around and I look, take a picture. Fine, he's great. One of the best moments of my life. A couple days later, that's tonight, today. Just an ha- hour ago. He's having his session, his Q&A session. I ask the first question. I, he, he I, literally, I'm in line D- to, David is the first person I'm in, in line. I'm line to ask the first question. The mic doesn't work. Of course and it I'm doesn't. Like 10 feet away from the stage. So I offer to go up to onto the stage and ask my question there. The, um, the moderator says, steady or whatever. Yeah. John Hurt offers to come down to us, to the crowd. That's immediately nixed. And then so I get... You know, that's the way Sylvester McCoy does. Q&A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs he around. Run, he's like Donahue. He literally runs. Yeah, he's like Donahue, right. <laughs> and, then, and so then I, I'm given the moderator's mic. I get to walk up to the thing and I blank. And all I can think of is saying, this is a big deal. Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he says. <laughs> and and uh, I guess John, John Hurt makes this motion like, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and then I get my question out. But it was... Oh, man. All I, I felt like Tupac. All eyes on me. <laughs> That's probably the only Ever, time Tupac ever, Everyone will always remember David Ace Gutierrez as the man who said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
to John Hurt. And yeah. John Hurt throws his hands up like it's surrender. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, oh he's such a, a brilliant actor. I, I know that gets tossed around a lot, but he's, he's an amazing transformative presence, really. Um, it, it's nice just to be around that, to be honest. Yeah, I... I don't know. I hate to admit, I don't know his career all that well. I've certainly seen some films with him. I'm not a film guy. I know a guy who's a big film buff. It's a podcast. Well, I know a guy who's a big film buff. He's annoying as hell. Anyway, in just listening to him, I mean, I could, I could listen to him for Read weeks. Read the phone book. Right. Well, yeah. Well, not just that, but like, I mean, the audience wrapped. Just the audience wrapped. was absolutely wrapped. And then at the end, everyone gave him a standing ovation. I don't think anyone got a standing ovation like that. Colin did. Not like that. That was Two a, doctors did, right? We that, saw that. Dude, that's, that was a, well, there was a fire alarm during that too. Oh, <laughs> but there was. Don't, don't. There, there was literally a fire alarm in the middle of Peter Davison and, and Colin Baker. Sha- like, Shaq said, he's hot. And then fire alarm. That's what happens. Now, um, when John Hurt got done, I mean, it was explosive. It was. The standing ovation. Well, you're in the presence of, of, of a knight. Of a knight, yeah. So, um, so what else? What, are, what, are what the, have you what, eaten? What, I, I eat Carl Juniors. That's all I eat. I get to see one of my old buddies, Mike Harlow, who I used to work with at Cosmic Cat uh, 20 years ago. He lives out here in L.A. We went and had breakfast this yeah, what morning. What was he? Like, you guys were salesmen? Or what yeah, we, we both were sales clerks at, at Cosmic Cat. Yep. So that was awesome. Got to hang out with him. We talked comics the whole time. Uh, I did not invite David purposefully. That would have been awkward. Oh, it's Valentine's Day, Happy by the Valentine's way. Day, buddy. Happy Valentine's Day, I'm here with my Valentine, David Ace Gutierrez. Uh, really... It's a little weird. But the nice thing is I'll be with David's wife soon. So that'll oh, be Valentine. my true Valentine's Day. My Valentine is here as well, still. Nicola? Yeah, Nicola's here. That's true. Oh, I wind. <laughs> you should see the hand motions he's making. They're, fil- they're <laughs> disgusting. Now. They're Hang filthy. On. They're filthy. I'm no, that's not what he's doing. It's not what he's self gratification. No. Um, no. Not so we, we've been to the dealer's room. We saw I saw panels on Doctor Who comics. I saw Paul, Paul Cornell, Richard Starking. Is that how you say his name? Richard Starkings. Starkings, yep. Comic craft. Yep. Tony Lee was great. Simon Garrier was great. Yep. Uh, the, the Big Gar- Finish guys. Gary Russell. Uh, Jason A. Gallery from Big Finish was wonderful. Do we mention? Do we mention Sir John Hurt yet? Do we mention him? Yet? I, did I mention that I spoke to him? Did and, you? And what did you say to him? I think I called him Jesus. <laughs> I think he said Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're gonna get, this podcast is going to get banned by some, by, some, by some church group um, now. Uh, and who did you have your picture taken with? I had my picture taken years later. with my childhood hero, Peter Davison. It was a great moment. It was an unbelievable moment. I mean, the picture was fine, but uh, earlier... For him. The, the day, him. For the day before, I had gone and gotten a chance to chat with him. Ah! And uh, I had a nice conversation with Peter Davison. Uh, I mentioned that I had met him 30 years previously at he a convention in Florida. You. He did not remember me. I didn't ask if he remembered me. But he just said, oh, he always enjoyed... Because first of all, he mentioned something about that was the early days of fandom yeah. back in 86. And he said he always enjoyed going to Florida because uh, he would go out and sit by the pool for two hours and get sunburns. And uh, he enjoyed that quite a bit. Were you Shag then? No, I didn't become Shag until I was about 15. What I do love, though, is whenever Shag gets an autograph from somebody from England, and they say, who do I make it out to? And then they say, and he says, Shag, they always do like a spit take. Yes, they start laughing hysterically. <laughs> and they, they like have trouble writing. And of course, David always, always <laughs> makes some sort of comment like, I know, it's so weird. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, thank you, David. Thank you, David, so much for that. IBS Shag. Yes. So, Gallifrey One has been wonderful, folks. Tickets for next year will go on sale in May. They sell out in seconds. They sell out in seconds, so please don't try to buy them, because David and I need them. Professor Allen and Emily, I think you should do yourselves a solid favor and save up and come here. They can't get here for a quarter. That's Well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Allen has 50 cents. <laughs> but no, and, you, and you can stay with us, Allen. You're welcome to stay with us. That's where I've been sleeping. I've been sleeping on David's yeah. couch. It's a little awkward, because, I mean, I... Never mind. <laughs> I, but, had a, you know, I, had a, I had a whole bit I was going to do, which was horribly wrong. 
Oh, you know what's funny though is, uh, as, as Shag had put it, that uh, we used to do a podcast together, together called the Ultraverse Podcast, and um, Malibu Comics was is the only company that I can think of that's actually based out of Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, I I went to three of all three of their sites because they moved offices a number of times. Yeah, yeah. Tom Mason. Yep. One of the founders uh, told me about the spots, and I uncovered this rare artifact. A letter from one Shag Matthews. I don't. I don't buy this. To Diane. Now Diane was their marketing rep, essentially, right? She was the well, face right. of Malibu Comics. Yeah, she was. Well, it was, it was a beautiful face right. too. She was totally hot. But she used to. Uh, she'd answer all the letters and everything. Is this? Oh my God! This is my handwriting. Yeah, it's a two-page letter. So oh I'm my just going to go over this quickly. Oh my God! Give me the mic. Um, so it starts with this: Dear Diane, I am a comics retailer and a comics lover from Florida, and I am loving the Ultraverse. My favorite titles are Mantra, Firearm, and Strangers. I also love DC Comics and Marvel Comics. I have a proposal for you. From a 5,000-foot view, it goes like this. How about a... I, I'm having a time reading your writing, Shag. Sorry. How about a team-up between Adam Bob and, and Firestorm? Think about the possibilities. Two atomic-powered individuals meeting for the first time. It would be boss. Also, I noticed you include your photo and your profile in all the comics. And I, could, and I think it's only fair I tell you about myself. Do you know who Fabio is? He looks just like me. Also, do you watch Acapulco Heat? He's on that, and that's my favorite show. Do you like TV? Have you seen Star Trek TNG? And then in, in parens, The Next Generation. Well, I had to explain it to her. Right. I look like Riker, comma, too. Encloses is a lock of my hair. Do you, lo- do you love it? Don't worry. There's plenty more where that came from. What's this? Oh, hey, do you like movies? I just saw The Crying Game. What's your favorite movie? I just saw The Crying Game, and I don't get the big deal. Forrest Whitaker is black and Irish. That's the surprise? I didn't get to finish the ending because my neighbor didn't pay the cable bill. But if, did that hot guy ever get with that curly-haired guy? Oh, hot girl ever get with that curly-haired guy. Sorry. Who's well, the joke there? <laughs> well, gotta go. JK, I'll get to the point. Do you have a boyfriend? If so, how is his health? Like I said, I'm just like Fabio. I'm including a picture of me. Ultraverse rules. Always shag Double D Matthews. The Double D stands for Double Dragon Deep Dickin'. Keep in touch. Okay. Some of that was embellished. Some of that. Okay. That is not how I signed my letter. <laughs> David has lost it. He's rolling around in the grass on his back, laughing was hysterically. That, 93? that would have been that was 94. Was that 94? I didn't yeah. see it. I didn't see it. Well, you didn't there read was the. Ultraverse in 93. You didn't, it started in 93. No, you, you wrote in 94. Well, you didn't read the, the date oh, of it. I haven't seen that letter in 20 years. I don't March remember 12, it. 1994. Did you find it in like a filing cabinet or something? I did. Crazy. With an evidence stamp on it. I, well, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Well, folks, I don't know. That, I don't know that we can top that. <laughs> So, uh, David, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Nowhere. That's where. Well, that's not true. You can find a lot of my articles on emmys.com. What is this? Emmys.com. What is this? It's a site for the Emmys. Um, I also do some pieces for Newsarama every now and again. There's this great episode of this great podcast called Film and Water. I'm on the uh, David Bowie, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth episode with one Rob Kelly. Never heard of him. And I can be found on... Is the Ultraverse stuff still around? It's still around, right? I'm still paying for the okay. for the hosting, yeah. <laughs> On the Ultraverse podcast with my best friend Shag. Oh, I'm not really his best friend, but don't oh, tell yeah. don't tell him that. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Fire and Water Podcast live from Gallifrey One. Gallifrey One Convention 2017.
Coming to you live from Gallifrey 28 in Los Angeles, Woof. February 2017, sitting here with my good friend, and I use the term loosely, David Ace Wait. Gutierrez. What? What's loose, good or friend? Uh, probably the friend word. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we are here doing a sequel to our highly, uh, <laughs> re- highly received episode where we recorded last year at Gallifrey 2016. You guys remember that one, right? Oh, wait. No, you don't, because the audio is sitting on my computer at home and never got released. So, anyway, David, how's What's it feel? changed? <laughs> David, how's it feel to be back? Oh, it feels wonderful. Um, I think I had a better convention this year than last. I'll tell you why, Shaq. I was going to say, why? could you tell me why? It's a Doctor Who convention, right? It's a Doctor Who convention. Is that, that old show from PBS? Yes, from PBS and uh, BBC America Now and uh, Sci-Fi. you got to speak up. Project- uh, BBC America Now and Sci-Fi. He's a little man, folks. It's hard for him to project. <laughs> I'm doing this from your pocket. No, um, yeah, I got to be Paul McGann, my favorite doctor. Woohoo! So that was a big deal for me. That was the best, actually. And uh, Louise Jameson, I got to gush over her a little bit, and she grabbed. It, it was actually that's a physical thing he's talking about. Yes, I, I spoke to Louise Jameson, ah, Leela. Much better. And she and I uh, showered her with my praises, and she grabbed my arm, looked into my eyes, and said, "Thank you." And uh, she said it meant a lot to hear that from from a fan. Because I told her I'd, I'd been in love with her voice for the last 35 years, which is true. We, we met Amy Pemberton, which... We did meet Amy Pemberton <laughs> from Big Finish Audios. And, uh, Sally Morgan, I think, is the companion she played for one of the Sylvester McCoy companions. Yeah. She's a lovely woman. Dare I say she's hot, David? Would you, would you agree? I'd say heavenly. But, um, Dude, I, also she, she's from, smoking from, hot. Uh, that Legends of Tomorrow show. She's the voice of Gideon. That's correct. The computer. So it was great. I, and uh, Shag and I did a, a meet and greet with Paul McGann, Daph- Daphne Ashbrook. Woo-hoo. Peter Purvis. Peter Purvis, who was, who I love that. He dropped he, the F word. Yes, that twice. Was, that was awesome. Three times this convention, Ka- actually. Katie, Man- Katie Manning. Katie Manning. Um, Annika Willis. Yep. And the two other people we don't really know yes. from Blake 7. But let's talk about that evening for a and second. Red Dwarf. So the way that this meet and greet was set up was they had tables with people at them, and then they would then they would um, circulate the celebrity guests like Paul McGann at each table to stay there for about eight minutes a piece or something. Well, let's back up a bit. See, it was it was on a special reserve floor. We had to pay right. extra for it, and more importantly, about a grand. More importantly, <laughs> more importantly, there was a nonstop flowing booze, which was right. which was lovely. I enjoyed right. that part quite a bit. The problem was, I think they oversold the event just a tad because uh, Shag and I were having to stand, and it was it was getting really hot and humid in there, and uh, you couldn't really hear what people were saying. And uh, depending on the guest who was seated at your table, you might not be able to hear what hear them at all, and they might not be able to hear you. So it was a little sketchy. Yeah, we, we couldn't we couldn't hear one particular guest, and I asked him to speak up, and he, he told without, Shag to stop without it. telling me to jump off a bridge. He pretty much told everyone to just move in closer. He wasn't yeah. going to speak up. He I'm not going to do was. my bit for king and country. <laughs> but then McGann sits down. And I just start hammering with the questions, and then shag with the questions, and then me with the questions. We took over the room for a little bit. And I, I think it's safe to say that McGann really just talked to me and shag for about eight minutes, which made my weekend because he's, he's clearly the best doctor that ever lived. And then before that, we went to a signing and got autographs from Paul. This was a few days before right, that, right, on Friday. Right, 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 right. And we had probably another eight to ten minutes just with Paul going back and forth talking about different roles and his kids and family. On and Alien just, 3. Yeah, it was great. I'm a Fincher fan. Now, I, I would have to say you you were quiet for most of the reception except for I McGann. Because I can't hear any. Yeah. I have terrible hearing. What? 
Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I have to say I'm pretty proud of myself. I I, I did quite well with Daphne Ashbrook and uh, Katie Manning. And Shag yells. No. I'm a ladies' uh, man. The ladies. No, he did. Yeah, you were pretty terrific with with uh, with Katie Manning. But I don't think Katie Manning really needed anybody's help. She, um, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to lead her by the arm. Well, actually, wait. You do have to lead her right, by the arm because she's, she's totally my blind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she can't see anything. But you could give her um, a slip of paper with a word like "the" on it, and she will do thirty minutes on the word "the." It's <laughs> it's a uh, she's just a delight and just sort of just like a nuclear warhead of stories. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's ceaseless. It is delightful though. I mean. It's, it's manic and breathless, but lovely and joyful. It ma- so happy when I, I went to go to photo op with her, and she she hugged me three times during the photo op. And Thought you were three different people. <laughs> it's possible, but before the photo op, she actually sat down on the floor with a little girl and, oh. who was upset and played like patty cake with her for a few minutes just, just to try, up. Yeah. to try and calm the kid down. It was unbelievable, and I, I mentioned it to Katie during the reception, and she goes, "Oh well, kids love me because they think I look like a muppet." Her, her she said her partner said that to her, which I think. <laughs> Um, I don't. I think I have a pretty honest marriage. Um, I don't know you and Amy Pemberton. I don't know. Uh, well, like I said, that just happened today. Right. Your so, wife asked you about it too. <laughs> there's room to grow, but uh, you know, Jessica and I've been married. Let's see, s- almost eight years. So. I like how I like how quickly you came up with that. That's really shows I'm, devotion. I'm looking at the. I have to think about the year. Um, eight years now. So if it, you know, if it, if. If it doesn't work out, we're at that mark, and uh, I'm young, she's young, Amy, <laughs> Amy Pemberton's young. Okay, for starters, <laughs> David is not young. Make no mistake, he has less hair than me, folks, and you know I don't have much. That's not even remotely true. Um, what you have wait, is... What, there's nothing it. There's nothing up there. Yeah, because I take care of it. What you do, though, is you've managed to grow... A personality? You have, like, the Lobot haircut, but then <laughs> it looks like you have... Um, it looks like you're wearing a... What do you call that? What the girls wear, um, that sort of parts, they, they use it to comb their hair, like a headband. It looks like you have a headband with just a, like three strands of hair that sort of somehow vis- have tied together. It's like a bridge over this bald head. These visual aids you're providing are just astonishingly helpful in this audio medium. Um, now, hold on. We need to talk about another person who we had a chance to meet, uh, who also, uh, Paul McGann. Well, that More was, about Paul. Okay. We, he is. We he are. Had his own bottle of wine. We are best. best he, he had his own bottle of wine. With him. <laughs> we had a chance to meet Lala Ward. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you my thing. We should, we should call her Ma'am Mal, Lala yes. Ward. Well, She's. She did a. a we, did you see on? You weren't there for the Gallifrey panel. She was on, right? Except for that, I was sitting next to you. You were there. No, for I was that. next to your wife, which was better, actually. Yes. Well, it's a much better view. Yeah. She, you know, I went to the meet and greet with her. And no, there were about five of, this was a smaller gathering that happened prior to the McGann one. And there were about five of us there. And nobody, when she sat down with us, it, like nobody knew what to say. It was like the queen sat down. Well, she's like royalty. She Feels really like is. It. Yeah. I mean, she, she doesn't really sit so much as she sort of just slowly places herself. <laughs> and, um, she just, she's so like rigid. Like now, hold on. straight. Uh, we're posture. making we're making it sound awful. I mean, yes, no. she's very regal, but she's beautiful. She's lovely. I don't, she's I don't warm. Mean any. Well, it, but someone may misinterpret. Right. I just want to make sure they know she's a lovely woman. She's, oh, she's incredibly wonderful. smart, incredibly sharp witted. She tells you straight. She doesn't screw around. Right. And she's funny though. But that's and what's charming, so intimidating is all but, these things together. But she does. <laughs> she does carry herself in a very regal fashion. Right. She sort of floats along yeah. the room. Yeah. 
I, I remember somebody asked her a question, and she said, well, one thinks. Like, so all of a sudden, it's the Queen's English, which just compounds the, like, the difficulty of trying to engage this person in regular conversation. Because she's not a regular person, all of a sudden. She very much is Romana, the time lady. Yeah. She's a lady, right? Yeah. I have more respect for her than I do the Queen. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Siskoid. But, um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. I was telling Shag, I don't know if I need to come back again next year, because I feel like I've... I've hit my Everest with this. I mean, I, I, Shag knows what a big fan I am of Doctor Who, but certainly, specifically of McGann. You're coming back next year. I don't know. Maybe. So, so you know some of the other people they've had in previous years: Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, Colin Baker, Peter Davison. That's what we saw. Billy last, talked about. Billy last Piper. Week. Arthur, she came to this. Arthur Darville. Uh, Has Martha been Edgeman, here? Uh, Freeman. Uh, Fre- oh, she's been here. Freeman Edgeman. Yeah, a lot of big names have been here. Well, maybe. The thing is, you, you buy tickets before you know who's going to attend. So that's, that's a little tricky. Well, you're going to buy a ticket. You can always sell it. I'm sure somebody listening will buy it. That's true. Although I don't want to hang out with them. But I had such a wonderful time. It's always great to see Shag. Because this is the only time I see him. Thankfully. Well, court-ordered. So That's true. Yeah. Let me see what other highlights. Talk to Scott. Ha- well, I, you go ahead. It's, a, I mean, you're not very interesting, but... And there's Mr. John Peel walking past us right now. Not the DJ. Amazing author. Not the DJ, but an amazing author. Oh, but um, I'm trying to think what else. Well, I, I spent a fair amount of time talking with Gary Russell, Doctor Who writer, uh, producer for Big Finish, amazingly nice guy, super nice, and does great interviews, and then just chat with him. Uh, uh, gosh. How old is he, you think? 50-something? Uh, probably in his 50s, yeah, probably. But uh, I think I had three separate chats with him this weekend, just really nice, warm, friendly chats. Does he recognize you? By the end of the weekend, he certainly did. Yeah, I mean he, that guy. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, folks. The, the the British people, when they sign an autograph for me, don't forget that my name is Shag. They remember me. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm not going to repeat the story. That I'm, and I'm also that I'm, I'm also incredibly charming. It's the face, Shag. You know, it's like um, the first time you see a fraggle. <laughs> I don't know red from boo, but I know I've seen a fraggle. So, <laughs> No. Say what you will. And say what you will. As this, this is always a meant to second. A- Amy Pemberman said hi to me in the hallway. I didn't have to say hi to her. She said hi to me in the hallway. Okay, we can start your competition for her hand. Um, but uh, you win. I'm just oh. saying. People like me. I don't need that. Here we go. Brian Ng stopped me. I was about hallway. to say yeah. that. Yeah. Brian Ng is our friend. We met him last year. He is uh, such a fan of yours. No, and he, Michael Bailey. He's a listener of Michael Bailey's who recognized my voice at a panel last year. He's like, excuse me, are you the Irredeemable Shag? I recognize your voice. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. And uh, But he's here. Super I, nice guy. I thought we, he heard your show. I thought that's how he You keep it. saying that. But no, you don't listen to the man. You don't listen to I Brian. Don't you don't have. You don't care. No, he says he listened to me. Michael Bailey show. Loved yes, it. Yes, I got that. Then he heard me. Then he yes. started listening to some Fire and Waters. Which is... He, right. uh, he he has listened to you on uh, the, the video store. Tales of the Video Store Which from Fire and Water. he said he loved and was the best thing Fire and Water Network. Phil, Phil, yeah, he didn't. No, those words. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I said it was. Best thing I ever, said it was one of the best things Rob ever produced oh, without me. You just re- wow! I got you to repeat some compliments that you didn't want to repeat. Oh no! Well, so. Rob, will, you know what? This is about Doctor Who. Rob won't listen. <laughs> that's, that's true. Let's talk about Rob. No, um, I, I love that guy. No, it was. It's, it's a. It's a magnificent convention. So um, the, the, the nice thing about this convention is, you know, and I've been to a lot of conventions, Dragon Con and MegaCon and... What's MegaCon? It's in Orlando. Oh. Everyone here is, incre- and I mean the attendees, are incredibly nice. Yes. And willing to chat with you. Yes. If you're waiting in line, it's like a lot of conventions, you just, you got to keep to yourself and your friends and that's it. You get crop dusted. <laughs> oh, that happens here too, though. Four but, times. 
you're not helping me sell this. Anyway, everyone is so freaking nice. That's true. Every, I mean, like, I've had so many conversations with so many different people from around the world, just randomly like, oh, where are you from? For no reason. I sat down and had a chat with one guy. It turns out he's a friend of your wife's. Yes, I think. <laughs> well, that's a weird thing. That was a weird thing. But um, I, I, think, I think you touched on this last year, but... On that awesome episode, heard it. uh, it's on um, my hard drive somewhere. It's labeled David Gutierrez, do not release. <laughs> Under police investigation, I think is what it says. It's that letter you wrote. Right. But um, it was, um, I think it's a subject matter. Who, who is such a positive thing that I think it brings out a lot of people who are just innately positive? Oh, well, that's nice. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say because we all like the same thing, but that's the no, case. No, no. You, yeah. uh, you can go to San Diego Comic-Con. That place is a filth hole uh, you know the crazy thing here is, is not everyone here likes the same thing it's like you, you well, yes, it, well hold on 50 years of history yes the original show versus the new show is very different yes yes fans of Capaldi versus fans of Eccleston are very different mm-hmm. I mean it's it's, a, it's surprising they're wrong within <laughs> they're surprising that within one show fandom there's so many variations of what people like yes I've, we talked about this last night actually I don't remember if that was your your discussion or I may the, the be drinking heavily. Yeah. I don't remember, but I think it's because I was you know I was talking about this with my friend uh, Louise Jameson. Um, <laughs> uh, I said I, I think the the popularity and the um, the fact that this has been able to just garner an audience for so long is because there's something for everyone, and be, because you have thirteen incredible doctors, not a bad one in the bunch. They're bad stories, yes. But this is me biting my tongue. There goes Davros. Every doctor, leave your leave your personal issues aside from what the actors like. Okay, hold on, no, let's take a moment. That Davros cosplay is amazing. A motorized That's great wheelchair for, a visual, for for a, for an audio. Seriously, guys, medium. You do, imagine the one on the show. It just went by. But the old show. But cardboard. Anyway, no, uh, it looked really good. But cardboard. You have uh, thirteen doctors who are twelve doctors and one not doctor, I guess. And there, there's just something for everyone. So the, you can glom onto something. If you're weird about, if you have a weird thing, chances are a companion's like that. You know what I mean? If, if, uh, if, 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 you're, if you're socially awkward, guess what? Some of the doctors are. Um, yeah, it's, uh, if, 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 if you look great dressed like Wild Bill Hickok and you're a romantic, um, and, uh, Everybody loves you. Then, the, then you're the eighth guy. You know what I mean? It's, it's, right. it's uh, yeah. I, I struck up a conversation during lunch today. I was sitting outside. I was in, unfortunately, in the smokers area, but tried to find a table without a smoker, which was not. I did, and I, I had to sit down outside. I needed oxygen, yeah. so I sat down next to this guy, and I, re- I looked down, and he's got in his hands a giant remote control. He's the guy driving the remote control Dalek that's going around outside, oh. right? And so I get talking to that guy. And we're just chatting about life and kids. And he's got kids. I've got kids and stuff. Robot kids. Well, he, well, he's driving the Dalek around at this time. And meanwhile, across the way, there's a little girl who's got a headset on. He just picks a girl, I guess, a little kid out of the group to do the voice. She's speaking to the mic going, you know, exterminate. And it's that's coming adorable. through the Dalek. Oh, it's amazing. <clears throat> so we got talking. Yeah, this guy, he's, um, uh, he's a school teacher. He is, works for, oh, my gosh. All he, he built the Dalek himself with a friend. He worked for a company that made NASA replicas. He built the suit Matt Smith wore in The Impossible Astronaut. 
I mean, just an amazing guy. Hobbyist. I, no, he was the CEO of that company at the time. Uh, and just had this wonderful conversation, complete stranger. Yeah. And we just chatted for a long time. And then he ended up um, doing a personalized Dalek greeting for my kids. That's he's just like, hey, he's like, you want a personalized one? I'm like, oh my gosh, really? He's like, yeah. And, I, and this was all just because I sat down somewhere to eat lunch, talking Sir, to a stranger. Eight, Dad. I'll, I'll show it to you later. It's got, the, it's, got, it's got the kids' names in it. So it's great. Wow. Now, how come you don't do, uh, do the dress-up thing? How come I don't do the cosplay? Um, other than Eccleston, there's not really a balding enough doctor that I could do. Some of the doctors are pretty bald now. Now? What am I going to What am I going to do? You can go as a contemporary what version of Colin Baker 2017. That's what sure. I'm going to cosplay as? No, thank you. Um, no, I, it's not my thing. The blue costume. I No, it's it's not really my thing. I, why is that? Why don't you? Um, I've never been one to dress up. Halloween was always a weird thing for me as a kid. I've never been comfortable with it. I know I initially was never comfortable with makeup. Okay. And I... I have a weird thing about cosplay. I don't. I don't always get it. You know really? I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think it's amazing. Well, no, seriously. I think um, it's. A, I think it's a wonderful. I have absolutely no sewing ability other than I can do a button because I learned on Playboy.com. That's the only thing I can do with sewing is sew a button. That's on. what you learned from that site. No, I learned some other things okay. too, but that's where I found out how to sew on a button was Playboy.com. <laughs> Uh, in like 1998. I'm, I'm curious what you typed into the search engine. Didn't well, I would have I would have looked at web crawler or you know sorry, or meta crawler back in 98. Typed how do you sew on a button and that's the website I went to. So it just I, went to favorites, oh. right? <laughs> so anyway, no, that was I think it was a pay site back then. Anyway, um, so I think cosplay is amazing, and I have no problem wearing anything. I mean, clearly you can tell the way I dress. I don't have any problem wearing whatever. Cosplay is but, a bum, right? But I don't have any. Again, no ability to make anything. I wouldn't want to wear a store-bought or something someone else made. I would just feel it's cheating because these cosplayers work so hard on these things. Mm. In fact, the masquerade last night, you shouldn't have left. Oof. I had to leave. Well, you should. It was a, <laughs> no, you didn't. But it was a, no, you know, it's family, whatever. Anyway, it's amazing that the stuff these people put together on stage. Um, so that's why I don't cosplay. I don't feel confident. Like, actually, you'll feel like a poser. Honestly, if cosplay I cosplay or cosplay, yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> I would feel like a cosplayer, cosplayer. If I could, I would for superheroes. I would totally cosplay Doctor Midnight from the JSA. I think he's got a badass I, costume. Oh, I thought you meant the one from Infinity Inc. for a second. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why would you? That would be boots? that would be great. But uh, no, uh, a Doctor, couple things about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doctor Midnight from uh, JSA would be awesome, but. We're, Peter we're, McNiter? We're way off. Uh, no, 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 not that one. Uh, Charles, Charles McNiter. McNiter, yeah. We're, we're, we're way off base here anyway. So No, this is part of it actually for me um, is uh, witnessing these things. I, um, yeah, I. Well, you know, uh, who else is here? Uh, Fraser Hines is here. Oh, gosh. You should tell the Peter Purr story. Deep Roy is here. Tell the Peter Purr No, hold on. Deep Roy is here. Deep Roy is here. So when I sat through the Deep Roy session, I he started naming all the movies he's been in. He's been in a million and five. Think of a movie. He, think of a movie. Any movie. Um, yes, he was in it. Yes. Okay. He was Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. The walking Yoda? That was him. I crap you not. I believe you. You're giving me death stare. I, it was – I couldn't – I mean I thought I knew everything I knew needed to know about Empire Strikes I didn't know Back. you had a deep, deep Roy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this guy from Adam until the other day. You, never knew, you didn't know who deep Roy was? Well, I knew who he was but I didn't realize he'd been in so many things I loved. He was a Skeksis. You've got to be a millionaire. He was a Skeksis. Right? He's the, oh, the, just so you know, this is the Oompa Loompa from the uh, um, the, new the remake of Willy Wonka. The guy, the one that was in, like a zillion of these little Oompa Loompas. He's here because of of Wing Chiang, primarily. Yeah, right? he was Mr. Sin, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is a great Tom Baker episode. Phil, Philip Hinchcliffe is here. That's right. Philip Hinchcliffe is here. Now, you know what's great about, like, he is the, like, he's the most British, British man. I've You're going to say something terrible. No, he's like the consummate Englishman. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you think of a guy who grew up, I guess, probably in the. So, so if someone's from England, would you say Englishman? 
But he is... So someone's from another country? Would you like, call them by that as well? Um, wait, wait, I don't understand where you're going. I'm leading line. you towards the story you're about to tell about what he said during the oh, panel. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, I was going to say he's very much a product of his time. Yes. Um, he, he was talking about the making of Towns of Wang right, Jiang. And he, he said, Chinaman. Yes. <laughs> there was a collective shudder across the, the, um, the audience for a second. But yeah, someone, was, someone leaned over and go, you can't say that Grandpa, anymore. Shh, grandpa's telling a story. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was. Um, but, you know, it's like, yeah, my grandpa was, was relaying this information. He would use different words. Sure, probably, absolutely. Probably yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no. But he's, he's a very proper Englishman. Yeah. Who, um, Roger Moore like. Who else was here? Um, gosh, lots of, lots of behind the scenes. Daphne folks. Ashbrook. Daphne Ashbrook. Oh, my, my girlfriend, Grace, from the, the movie. That's right. You love that movie. Uh, I love the movie. You know what? Man, I, na- I nailed the quote. We, we, there was a tri- by the way, we did it. There was a trivia yeah. contest a little while ago. Not contest, but a trivia game a little while ago. And they were, it's called Is It Megalos? And they, they read a single quote and you have to guess the episode it's from. It's insanely hard when you take these quotes out of context because they're like really hard quotes, not simple ones. Anyway, one of the quotes was uh, Daphne Ashbrooks from the TV movie. It's the one I knew immediately. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. It's about the hearts? But I was, uh, no, it was about crossing the threshold of the TARDIS and the transference and all that stuff. But I was sitting there in the audience whispering with the people next to me. Who are those people? Our guesses. And uh, back and forth, we're like, what do you think? What do you think? And one of the guys was Eric from the Doctor Who book, ca- uh, book podcast. The, the belated, or no. The late. The late, I guess, is the term. The no longer continuing Doctor Who uh, book club podcast. But also on the other side of me was Mr. Paul Cornell. One of the great Doctor, writers of our time. Doctor Who writers and, and writer. Captain Britain and MI13. Yeah, comic book writer. Amazing stuff. Me and Paul Cornell and Eric were whispering Elementary. answers to each other. Super, super great guy. Um, I do. Also, uh, Tony Lee. Tony Lee's a great guy. Comic book writer, funny, funny he's guy. He's a great showman. Yes, like, he he's is. He's a showman. Yeah, he hosts the Masquerade. Does a great job. We went to the Big Finish. You and I are huge fans of the audio dramas. Just a bit. Um, Nick Briggs, Jason Nick A. Gallery. Jason Gallery. Amy Pemberton. <laughs> Amy Pemberton. Um, She's coming up. Right? I wonder why. She's um, top of mind. Right? Um, uh, the... the What's her name? The one who's at the lady who's at every convention. Um, the, in the audience? No, Chase Masterson. Oh, yes. Chase yes. Masterson was there. But not at the big finish um, panel. Oh, the second one. Not your, the second your Narvin one. guy was there. Yeah, Sean Carlson. I love that guy. Yeah. Great actor. Yeah. Not enough credit. Yeah. Um, we both asked questions at the big finish panels. We did. As for We should be on the big finish podcast then, I guess, aren't we? Uh, yes. Look at that. We, we're famous. Wait, what did you ask? I remember I asked about the Avengers. I asked about... <laughs> the real Avengers. <laughs> I asked about Amy Pemberton. <laughs> Oh, man. It never shuts down. <laughs> it just keeps it's going. It's a train. Yeah, it's Google her and you'll see what we're talking about. Make, so sure you get you, the right, make sure you get the right one, though. When you were in high school, like, because you're... Because there's a few. Not a, that I've Googled her before. You're a man in, in your... And she's in a woman. Twilight, in your twilight years. When you were in high school, you were like 10 times this, I imagine, right? David, it never turns off. Ever. Ever. It never has. But it must wane. No. Not even a little bit. When you sleep. I used to keep my mouth shut more often. Do you count hots when you sleep? <laughs> I used to keep my mouth shut more often when I was younger. That's what all. What happened? So this is all just repress. Repression. This is more like, um, you know, like old people. What's diagnosis? You know, oh, and they have a, like, remember um, the lady on Golden Girls when she had a stroke? And um, uh, Sophia. That's a Rob. That's she, a Rob question. When she had, okay, she had a stroke and she couldn't, well, this, that's what the whole show was about. Was, was it about Rob? The, no, the mom on the on Golden Girls. Right. She had a, the very first episode. She had a stroke, so she no longer had a filter. So she said whatever came into her head. That's why that's she. What, that's, that's why that's she was so funny. It. That's why she was so funny. I'm a bit like her. Yeah. Wait, and you've had how many strokes? Let's not let's not talk about this. <laughs> that's what I thought. Hanging out um, with you is making me feel like I'm having another one right it. now. 
So what's as, the best as co- we wrap things up? What's the best it, co- what's the best cosplay you saw? Uh, I don't want you to talk. The robot. The ro- giant robot was here. No, 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 no. From um. Oh, uh, Robots of Death? Yeah. Dude, that guy was amazing. Yeah, it looked just like it. Well, there was a, a whole Which, group. Which, by the way, that gave me nightmares as a child for sure. years. Well, welcome back to him. Uh, after seeing that guy, walking around in front of you. So, um, there was a whole group of this Tom Baker, you know, scary. There was the, the robot from Robots of Death. There was uh, Eldrad from Hand of Fear, the crystallized yes. woman. Was... She was amazing. She won She won first place in the contest contest last, last year with that costume. Um, it was a contest contest? Costume. Uh, <laughs> the, the master, like the melted face master yeah. from Deadly Assassin, and it looked exactly like it. The guy who does the big finish, Beavers. It was Jeffrey Beavers, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then, uh, or what? No, wait. He may have played it in Keeper Tarkin. Oh, okay. I think he did Keeper Tarkin. So that was anyway, another guy. Okay. I, I don't know. We'd have to look it up. There's a whole. If only, only there was some that. way to look that up. Anyway, and then. I'm they, looking at your phone, and all it says is Amy Pemberton. Shut up. <laughs> That's what we're going to title this episode. Uh, and then there was – wait, so there was a robot. There was Eldrad. There was the master and – oh, the mask of Mandragora. The Mandragora, funny. however you want to say it. But, you, wow. but uh, the talons scared me too when I saw that as a kid. There's the talons here? No. The, I'm talking about the costumes oh, here, here, here at the yeah. event. What, hmm. what else? There was a – I saw one There was one of my favorites. I don't think you could get away with that today. What? Mr. You, Sin? Well, no, not Mr. Sin. Which one? Um – Mr. Giant, the, the giant rat? No. Nope. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wang Chang. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or no. Um, what was the, the magician's name? Was it Wang, Wang Chang? Uh, no. That was their god they prayed to, yeah. right? Uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, no, that wouldn't. John that, Law. That would not fly. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. there was a, a, one of my favorite cosplays. It was fairly simple. It was a girl dressed as a uh, mashup of Tom Baker with the scarf and Ray from Force Awakens. Oh, that was that was really yeah. interesting. She used the, the, the scarf, scarf as the as, as the rags. Yeah, as the rags Ray wore. It was really clever. And that same girl was we saw actually today as uh, River Song in the Impossible Astronaut with the Impossible Astronaut costume on. What a no, great cosplayer because I couldn't wait, tell who was who. Not Impossible Astronaut. Um... It was her and Sansa library in that white suit. Yes. Yeah. I know you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, same, same young no lady. Idea. Same young lady. That was a great outfit. She's an amazing customer. The uh, the astronaut suit. She also had a Missy costume the day before because I, I just recognized her face. She's the one who was pulled up last year with by Missy as Missy? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. That this was great last year. This, this uh, year's great too. Gomez. Was you her? just uh, – oh, uh, Michelle, Michelle Gomez, Gomez right? yeah. oh my god, the lady who plays Missy is insane in real life in a wonderful she way. She and Katie Manning would probably destroy Oh my god, planet, right? it could be the end of the universe, her and Katie Manning together. I, I bet they'd hate each other. No. They're so similar. No, they'd be best friends. Mm, they would absolutely they go be, either way. No, she's not actually evil. She's just crazy. They're both crazy. That's what I mean. Crazy yeah. times crazy no. equals, is, is equals the, normal. A bottle of wine, crazy plus crazy Somebody's is the funnest night of your life. Could you imagine on. if there's a them together at a reception together. next year? We're doing receptions again next year. Depends who it is, right? Well, you're coming. You're buying a ticket. I think I'd probably just spend my money there now, now that we've done that. I, I tell you what. I mean, now that I know these receptions are so amazing, I'm going to buy them. I don't depends know if I'll buy them all. It depends book. on the receptions, but yeah. but I will definitely invest in those. Honestly, though, if it wasn't McGann last – I think I must be in love with Paul McGann. If it wasn't McGann – Or Pemberton. Last night. <laughs> I'm blushing. <If> McGann, <laughs> he totally is. His whole head just turned red. If it wasn't McGann. I wish his wife would walk by oh, while we were talking God, about no. this. She's here. Listen, I love my wife. Um, when, so do I. When not, hey. <laughs> oh, there's the fist again. <laughs> he, just, not, he just cl- – like every muscle in his neck just cl- How tightened. are you not murdered yet? <laughs> People God, like me. Rob, you are my hero. People – well, he's this, over the phone. He can't get me. You do this weekly. He's in New Jersey. <laughs> um, 
Oh my god! I, Rob does do it weekly, very weekly. <laughs> just a fugue state. Um, it's not going to be interesting to anyone else, but I think I'm just going to leave this one on the hard drive. Too. What was I going to say? Nothing oh, yeah, interesting, right, right? Because it was so booked. It was like it, I felt like it. Well, the, the yeah, it was hard. It, it was really hard to get a word in edgewise. The reception? And, yeah, it was packed. Yeah, I mean the table sat about five to six people. We had not about twelve and standing they around like the table. Half the table knew each other. They were their own. Yeah, well, they're all together. Yeah. Next year, the lesson I learned is get at, to the reception early. as early and just wait in line an hour early but so you get your choice of table. Before we leave. Before we close it for this year, I think you should tell the Peter Purr story because it's it's a wonderful little story. Which which one? There's two. Well, okay, the television one. Well, okay. Well, first he he sang a song in the Feast of Stephen. That's where that's where all this well, is. This is where it's oh, all coming from. Moving stuff. Before they sang the song. No, this is where it all comes from. Yeah. He sang a song during the Feast of Stephen, a very old episode from the '60s. He sang a song, and or maybe it was the Gunfighters. It was the Gunfighters. Anyway, he sang a song. And they asked, someone from the audience asked if he would sing it again. And he said, F off. F off. He did, but he said the word. And it was hilarious. But Everyone burst out laughing. He's a genteel old man. Well, what, what people don't know is yes, he was Stephen, but he was also the host of Blue Peter for, what, decades, maybe? Right. It's like Mr. Yeah. Rogers saying yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah, it'd be like Mr. Rogers saying that. <laughs> so he felt really guilty because there's kids in the audience. So then we asked him about it later on that night at the reception. And he told this wonderful story about how somebody had let that slip on the air in television back in the 60s. At late night live television. Yeah, show. on live television. And then he had William Hartnell, Bill Hartnell, over at his apartment. They were sitting in his living room, just having, talking, having dinner, whatever. And Bill Hartnell said that was horrible for someone to drop the F-bomb. And Bill Hartnell started saying the F-bomb. How could you F and do that in somebody's living room? Right. And they're in his, Peter Purvis' living room. The irony was they're in Peter Purvis' living room right then and then when he said it. So how could you come into somebody's living room and say the F-word? It's like he's saying the F-word in Peter's living room. So. That was a great story. Peter was great. Oh. All of them had great stories. Every I, one of them had great I, stories. I spoke to Pervs about, um, he was on an episode of The Office. That's what she said. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it was called Training Day. It was the first, the English version, the original version, uh, first season. And he plays himself in a work, in, in one of those in work industrial videos. Right. And, and, and probably doing that, not so much because of his role in Doctor Who, but his role as Blue, Blue Peter. Blue Peter. Right. So um, I asked Which is him, a terrible name, by the way. <laughs> it's about a boat. It's a terrible name. So, like Shag, right? Right, yeah. exactly. It's a, um, so, uh, yeah. So, and being irredeemable at it. He said that he got a, he said that a lot of people thought that he was being made fun of. Like, how could they take this tape you made and then put it on this show and, and belittle you like that? And he says, <laughs> no, you fools. <laughs> the joke was, I'm... I was in that thing, but we shot it for the show. We it wasn't the special thing that was done in the eighties. Right. It was meant to look that way. So Absolutely. they succeeded and you guys aren't getting the joke. Right. But yeah. And the other thing, there was a great story that the uh, voice of K9 told us that um John Leeson. John Leeson. He has a name. He's I a was, human being. I was you about know. to say his name. So he he was it was one of his early convention appearances, really early convention appearances. And he said, instead of me just coming out to greet the audience, let's do something fun and everybody does. Um you, you he tells the, the uh, MC, you guys have a uh who sound like a canine sound a lot contest. Who's gonna like Shag's yawning at my story? Um <laughs> just you, not your story. And he says, and then I'll come out and I'll clearly be the winner. Oh he came in second. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Because nobody knew what he looked like. So he's behind a curtain or something? No. They they just they called people up from the audience. No. And, and oh, no one knew what he looked like. Yeah, ah. nobody knew what he looked like back then. 
And uh, yeah, he came in second. That is hysterical. Was that here, or he just told that story? He told that here, but this happened. That is years hysterical. Ago. Yeah, there's so many. You know, it's funny. We I realize we we've been saying all these actors' names. We're not really saying who they played. So a lot of people aren't as Sorry. into it. Okay, so let's take it back. Well, John Leeson played K9. K-9. Uh, For Lala, years. Lala Ward was uh, Romana too, the second of the blonde Romana. Yep. Uh, Louise Jameson was Leela, the Savage. Also, um, and also on um, um, Omega Factor. Okay, it's an English show. Okay, sure. Yeah. We don't have we don't have other than the Leylands. No one listens. Okay, uh, just kidding. And then uh, Paul McGann, the Eighth Doctor, Eighth. during the Wilderness Years. What else has he done? A million other things. Alien Whitney Three, and I, Alien Three, Whitney Whitney and I. I mean, the guy's huge. Uh, Told a lot of stories about Steven Spielberg working with him on Empire, Empire of the, the Sun. Sun. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you shut up now. And then uh, Nick Briggs, who's the voice of the Daleks, also and runs Big Finish, and executive producer of Big Finish. Jason A. Gallery, producer of Big Finish. Uh, Showman. Gary Russell, comic book writer. I'm sorry. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Comic, comic books, novels. Just a great writer. All around. Worked, writer. On, worked on the Doctor Who series. Worked on Big Finish. Does did everything. Fiction, does yep. nonfiction. Does plays. Teleplays. Peter Purvis. Torchwood. Played, you forgot that he ran Torchwood for a season. Oh, that's right. Peter Purvis uh, in the Sarah Jane Chronicles. Yep. So Peter Purvis uh, was Stephen. The uh, first Doctor Companion. Uh, Fraser Hines was Jamie McCrimmon, the second Doctor Companion. He was on Outlander. Okay, oh, we didn't even mention the Torchwood people are here. Right. Uh, Yanto and Tosh. Gareth Lloyd? Something like that, yeah. And I don't know their real names. And, and the lady who played Tosh, both of them are yeah. here from Torchwood. And then... Um, both dead. What? They both died on the show. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, you know what they're talking about? Apparently, in in Wales, there's a memorial... To Yanto. To Yanto. And the, finally, the city had to put up a sign saying that Yanto was a fictional right, character. Right, They're commemorating a dead... A, like a person who's never alive. Right, right because <laughs> so many people got upset. Like, oh, what happened here? Oh, this is terrible. This the man, flame still burns this, for Yanto. This man died here trying to save the Earth? What? The aliens. <laughs> right? It's like, what? <laughs> what didn't we know about Cardiff? Right. And then, uh, oh my gosh, we've got uh, John Peel, who wrote uh, Target novels and... and um, other, in Virgin bo- novels, Virgin Stephen Lacey will appreciate that you got that right. He's time. not going to listen to this. Okay, uh, he doesn't love me anymore. So really? uh, oh, Stephen Lacey's. Oh, uh, we met um, the guy who, who's the brand manager for Titan Comics, yes. Chris Thompson, a uh, friend of Stephen Lacey's. who appeared on Fantastic Cast just like I. So he and I are in the same club. The Sutherlands will appreciate this. I also spoke to uh, Javier Grillo Marsquash, who is the creator of Middleman and wrote for Lost and. Um, what was the name of that uh, sci-fi show that took place underwater with, with that dolphin? Sequest? Sequest. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. Yeah, brilliant guy. Brilliant guy. Also, um, who was, uh, oh, Julian uh, Shauna Benson, the writers of Batgirl, oh, you Birds of Prey. Man. I met them, talked with them for a while. They want to do a Doctor Who comic, so I'm trying to connect them with a, the Titan Comics guy to make that happen. And who is Annika Willis? We spoke about her. We did. Oh, she played Polly, which is the first and second Doctor right. companion. She was the carryover companion. That's right. Oh, boy, she was smoking hot. Let me ask um, you this. Yes. Uh, what about what do you think about Zoe? Wendy Padbury? Yeah. Horrible horrible thoughts that I shouldn't air in public. Beautiful. I am head over heels. I there was a period of time where I thought she was, she was the, your favorite. She was my favorite companion because she's great, her personality's adorable. Yeah. She's freaking sexy as hell. Okay. And we also and of course Katie Manning. She see Katie Manning played Joe Grant. And still plays Joe Grant. And Iris Wildtime. Yes, thank you. Joe uh, And his friends with Liza Minnelli. <laughs> And almost all these people, by the way, do big finish audios that we're talking about, too, as those original characters. But um, Wendy Padbury, see, she's on my list of – her and Lala Ward were both on my list she's of – She's still with us. Yes. She was on my list of uh, – both of them were on my list of, like, uh, s- former companions that were just, like, total crushes that I had I'm to, I had to meet. I'm such a Tam guy. Such You're a not going to meet her. 
Um, well, maybe someday I will. Yikes! She passed away, folks. That's I'm being, what I mean. We're being cold blooded. No, that's not being cold. Let's say something nice. Let's Hoping say something. Want some, okay, some... Let's wrap something up here and say something nice. Um, You're a good guy, Shag. And I thought you were broadcast quality. Your voice. I. I you were trained. I'm enjoying. <laughs> I enjoyed my time with David Ace Gutierrez and his lovely wife. She's absolutely wonderful. You. You totally. Executive punch, producer Pod Dylan. You totally punched above your weight. There, I did. Buddy. She's, yeah, she lets me know it. She's. She's no, lovely. She never has. Now the thing is, it was strange. They're both. They're. They're both very. Very short they're like they have a son they're trying to create a race of shetland people I think. oh my god well you uh, said shet right shetland shetland thank you or lilliputians you pick whichever but I forget what uh how you and lebron james are like a nose to nose and hype. right that's absolutely right um, you are uh, i just sound shorter on the radio feral bald man at the same time <laughs> you have the face of <laughs> all right so gallifrey 28, 2017 has Middleton's, been. Middleton's, please come for 29. Has been a huge success. Sutherland's, 29. I have a friend coming next year, a real friend, uh, a guy I used to work with at a comic book store. I had lunch with I had breakfast Crazy with him. Crazy cat guy? Cosmic cat? Cosmic cat guy, yeah. I had, uh, I had breakfast with him this morning. Wonderful gentleman. He, say, he says he's coming next year. So this Did you have great. signings at the, co- at the cat? Yeah. Uh, Marty Nodell, the, some of the Wildstorm guys. Um, Elliot, any who people? Elliot, is what I was getting. No, of course not. Elliot S. Brown, uh, stuff like that. But that's not, that's not what we're here to. We're saying goodbye. I was, I was trying to get. We're to saying the goodbye. Who question? We're saying goodbye. Say goodbye, David. Goodbye, and thank you again. It's always great to see you, and um, it's good to be your friend. Thanks for listening, and uh, I don't know if it's appropriate, but fan the flame and ride the wave, or how about spin the TARDIS? What? That's fantastic. No, no, no. Alonzi. Uh, Geronimo. Alonzi. Alonzi. Yeah. Alonzi. I can come down there. No. <laughs> if I go there small, you would survive. Come up. Wow. Hi. Hello there. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, I was I was curious about um, when you auditioned for drama school, what what that was what what that experience was like for you, and what piece you used to audition. Thank you for letting me do this. <laughs> oh, well, that's about fifteen questions. Yeah, well, my audition for drama school was uh, was a fairly dramatic piece thing. I have to say, I was absolutely skinned. I was an art student. I was.